welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadikarab, guten tak, ciao, wee, viva, kad bang, half a day, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan, from the new right left coast of the genetically mutated McNugget pharmaceutical vivisection prison killitary industrial core port nation in the cheese-covered post-constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy democracy criminocracy unchallenged by meteocracy foodborne in the NSA NRA USA home of Uncle Salmonella where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts. Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And, uh, okay, we are uh, back and ready to resume regularly scheduled re- uh, weekly programs. Uh, now that we seem to have overcome our technical problems that kept crashing the computer, it wasn't Skype, it wasn't Audacity, it was the fancy-schmancy microphone that I had. Um, maybe not so fancy-schmancy anymore. Time flies, Tempest Fugit, and the new fancy-schmancy becomes uh, incompatible with the latest version of Windows, and apparently that's what's been crashing the computer. So uh, I must apologize I'm going to have to buy a new, modern, fancy-schmancy computer. Uh, so today we will be uh, on the unfancy, unschmancy, uh, just regular old mic that's in the computer here. And so I apologize for any deficiency in sound, uh, in audio quality, but uh, we will be uh, checking the couch cushions for... Um, change and yeah yes we can we'll find change and then we'll uh buy a new microphone and um oh and by the way we uh, will not be doing the show live on mondays anymore i'll just be recording a podcast and uh working with the skype and the audacity and happy that they are actually working right now so oh uh let me also apologize uh in advance for saying anything you know more offensive uh, more more offensively truthful uh today than usual um or just trying to sound like i'm doing that i'm actually feeling a bit woozy from all the smoke i inhaled today um, and no no not that kind of smoke although i am in northern california so but um no i'm inhaling the fumes from the the, the the worst wildfires ever here in Northern California, in the Bay Area. Um, and uh, I don't know, I suppose I suppose I could be inhaling uh, some, uh, you know, some pot farm cannabis particulates. Um, you know, and I haven't really been too particular about my particulates in the last few days here. Um, I'd rather believe that than uh, that I'm I'm breathing the remnants of uh, you know the internal components of computers that have all been barbecued around the Bay Area by the worst wildfires ever here in the Bay Area ever 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 
Um, I tell you, I looked out my window the other day and I thought, you know something? God must have finally gotten his, uh, her or its, uh, medical marijuana card in California. Uh, what else could, uh, possibly explain the cloud of smoke outside my window? And then actually outside everyone's window everywhere in the Bay Area. Hmm. Doesn't, doesn't look or smell or taste like fog, the usual, uh, eh. Okay, oh, it must be, okay, God is exhaling his, her, or its first bong load after getting that medical marijuana card, and, uh, oh, by the way, I did get God's, uh, medical, um, evaluation, you know, through WikiLeaks, of course, and, uh, he, she, or it received the prescription, uh, for anxiety over, uh, what his, her, or its children have been doing, uh, children's behavior there. Um, I, I don't really believe the official word anymore from anyone, but I guess I'll believe the, the officials here calling it the worst air quality ever in the Bay Area in the history of air, um, in the history of, of bad air. Um, so, it is it climate change if things happen that have never happened previously? Um, and these things that never happened are happening all the time now, everywhere, across the entire globalist globe, um, or, you know, flat earth, if that's your perspective. Um, I'm just saying... Off the top of my computer component breathing head right now at the moment here in Northern California, um, I mean, the worst wildfires, right? And the worst air quality ever. Uh, this follows Texas with the biggest flood producing rain downpour event ever. And look at this hurricane season. Look at Puerto Rico. Well, if you can find it, it Puerto Rico looks like what we did to Korea in the 1950s and apparently feel like doing it again because we can. Record-setting temperatures, July 2017 in Death Valley. It was the warmest month in the U.S. ever. In Death Valley, California. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, can you, can you just imagine... <laughs> I don't know. Who were the people who planned the name of that town? The, the town elders. Like, what are we going to call this place anyway, huh? Uh, what, what, what a great name. And again, it must be great for real estate value and tourism. Uh, ironic, though, that our appetite for eating death is uh, bringing hell on earth to Death Valley. Literally. It's hottest July ever in Death Valley. And it is our appetite for death, by the way. Meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. The consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. The number one cause of climate change. Uh, responsible for at least 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, let's see. Any, any other indications that, um, that, that things are happening that have never happened previously? I mean, it seems to me that if... Lots of things are happening that have never happened. That can be called change, right? 
Um, and uh, if those things are happening to the climate, that could be called climate change. Um, anything else strange happening recently with the climate? Oh, yes, 2016 holds the record for the hottest year on planet Earth, followed by 2015 and 2014. So, I mean, that, that seems like it would be climate change to me. I know, yeah, but you're, you're not... Uh, you're not uh, tracing an 800,000-year cycle, right? So, but uh, anyway, if uh, indeed uh, many scientists, many, many, many scientists say that we are in the midst of climate change, not actually in the midst, but uh, pretty much at our tipping points, um, and the only solution is for us to go vegan. And, and it's an easy solution, really. Um, all that has to happen is you have to go vegan. And it looks like lots of people are doing it now. We've gone from 1% of the population in 2014 to 6% of the U.S. population now identifies itself as vegan, according to a report buyer um, study. I discussed that on the show some, some time back. I think we're still getting past shows up. Uh, we had uh, uh, the abrupt the abrupt departure of a key volunteer at Go Vegan Radio. So that, in addition to our microphone, and it's, it's been a bit of a mess. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so here I am. I mean, I'm blaming the consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs uh, for climate change, you know. And maybe you want to think that, you know, this is just some guy high on roasted computer dust who loves animals so much that he's willing to profess some vegan conspiracy theory here. Huh? So, um, But remember, we are living in a world where everything seems to be the opposite of what it is or what it seems. Left is right, up is down, in is out. So why wouldn't your consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs be the main cause of climate change. We weren't thinking about that. We were thinking about miles per gallon and, and you know, the, the, the pipeline that's, that hasn't been built yet, uh, the, the coal plant. But, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh, it is consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. And uh, your, your consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, by the way, is the reason that I am all choked up over climate change right now and crying about it, uh, or at least that's what's happening. My eyes are tearing because they're burning, you know. So uh, it's your consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs uh, that uh, has has brought the worst wildfires to Northern California, that has uh, drowned Texas, and that has uh, just blown away Puerto Rico. So um, if that seems like nonsense to you, uh, then the propagandists uh, at the enri environmental organizations have successfully misled you, um, and they can continue to get their donations from the ranchers now and uh, come up with weird articles like the most sustainable meat. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, when these groups are talking about anything other than going vegan as the solution for climate change, then their spokespeople, well, you know, to me, they, they just look like um, 
They they look like the the Las Vegas uh, police uh, at a press conference, basically. You know, it's uh, stick to the script, stick to the script, uh, no matter how outlandish that script may be. Um, I really became convinced that the FBI was forcing Las Vegas uh, uh, law enforcement to stay on script when, uh, well, first of all, there is that silent, ghoulish FBI agent who uh, stands behind the Las Vegas sheriff at each press conference. I mean, if looks could kill, huh? And so that agent... That agent is my Halloween costume, actually. Uh, anybody who can frighten, you know, uh, a gun-toting sheriff like that, just, you know, look at the look of fear. Yeah, anybody who can frighten a gun-toting sheriff like that uh, into saying such outlandish things, um, that's my Halloween costume. Huh? I mean, I... Uh, and I, I just have to believe it's a script also when the Las Vegas sheriff blames Stephen Paddock for the collapse of Building 7. Huh? Come on. It's getting a little outlandish here. Um, got to be a script. It's got to be a script, huh? But then, how does Harvey Weinstein fit into the script, huh? No, not, you know... <laughs> Not like when Harvey hears the word script and immediately starts looking for a casting couch or a casting futon. Um, maybe, just maybe, and, and this is great because, I mean, whatever I say, however influenced by uh, burning computer parts, um, is, is go it's going to make more sense than Rachel Maddow, so I can, I can get away with anything here. So maybe if Harvey Weinstein is... Uh, I think that's what it is. Harvey Weinstein is probably considered now the first success uh, for the Department of Deutschland Security, I mean the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI, and the NSA, and, you know, all those uh, domestic spying and unconstitutional domestic spying agencies. Um, I tell you what, if I keep talking like this, uh, maybe I actually should start a campaign for vegan food in FEMA camps, huh? I think that's probably a good idea for me right about now, the way I'm talking. And also, by the way, Radio Bobby on the speakers in the exercise yard at FEMA camps would uh, would be just the perfect sound. Um, check it out, RadioBobby.com. Uh, let's, uh, let's petition Trump. Let's petition Trump, okay, so that uh, there's vegan food in, in uh, FEMA camps and uh, Radio Bobby on the speakers in the exercise yard. And the way things are going, you know, Trump might be, you know, right, right in there with us as a resident, for all I know. So, anyway, um, yeah, Harvey Weinstein, I guess, would be the, the, the they could be claiming to have uh, successfully prevented a terrorist act by neutralizing Harvey Weinstein, huh? who exactly fits the most up-to-date profile of a terrorist. Huh? So, I mean, they are, uh, it's all over the, they're the ones now all over the FBI's most wanted list, of course, except for animal rights activists, who have their own terrorist act, by the way, the Animal Enterprise Terrorist Terrorism Act. So if you, uh, if one, causes the loss of profits, the loss of profits uh, to an animal enterprise, 
that is terrorism. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so so Harvey Weinstein fits the profile. The FBI, the FBI asks that you please be on the lookout for heterosexual corporate uh, multimillionaire white men with um, beards in their mid sixties. Okay, so. Uh, it does broaden the profile of today's terrorist a bit, but uh, that's good news. We'll have to follow the money and hire more personnel to spot accountants uh, who are who are on uh, lines at the airports. Uh, who hit the jackpot in Las Vegas, huh? Follow the money. Um, who can best monetize destruction of civil civil liberties? We've been doing pretty well. Since 911, actually. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you heard how uh, about all this uh, stock that was dumped just prior to 9-11. There was an article in Truthout, and I'm going to quote from that article in Truthout. It said, the International Organization of Securities Commissions has stated that the financial maneuvers uh, that had taken place in the days prior to 9-11 amounted to several hundred million dollars, constituting the most important crime of insider trading ever committed. Huh? So uh, they also said uh, Stephen Paddock was responsible for the collapse of Building 7. Oh, no. Okay, all right. This isn't the Alan, jo the uh, Alex Jones uh, show. Uh, although we were on GCN, we used to be on on his network. Um, the first food show. This is a food show. Go vegan. So, oh, the title of that Truth Out article is "9/11 Terrorists Made Millions in the Stock Market." Uh, fast forward to. October 11th, just now, an article in the New Nationalist. The headline, CEO of MGM Resorts, Mandalay Bay, dumped his stock just weeks prior to mass shooting event. Yes, James Morin divested 80% of the stock in his own company prior to the Las Vegas shooting. He, uh, he also He's also on the Department of Homeland Security's Infrastructure Advisory Council. Now, uh, I don't think he was giving very good advice or getting very good advice. I mean, considering here, Jimmy, what just happened at your hotel and the security at your hotel. So here you have a guy, <sighs> CEO, MGM. Uh, Department of Homeland Security infrastructure um, can't even prevent an event at his own structure. Huh? And to be fair, it's probably really hard for DHS to prevent events uh, when more likely it's, it's planning them. So, hey, uh, but give it credit. Give it credit. We now know to keep an eye out on people uh, who, who look like accountants, people who look like Harvey Weinstein, fitting the profile of a mass shooter. Um, and as with 9-11, um, our unconstitutional 
Deutschland Security Department, Homeland Security Department, hit the jackpot again. I mean, what's really going to happen here? You know, I mean, the Patriot Act was, oh, just a pat-down, a pat-act, uh, just a pat-down, basically. So, yes, please, trusted, moral, good government people. Um, yeah, just, just the kind of people we want to examine our uh, body uh, images, right? Huh? These people, these people, they're, you'll see the, the machinery coming our way now. Um, you know, I mean, watch uh, Wiener. Yeah, watch, watch Wiener get a job as a, uh, a rap scan uh, operator at JFK Airport when, when he gets out of uh, prison. Uh, watch, you'll see. Uh, Wiener and... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Please take away uh, more of our civil liberties. Uh, more, 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 more. Um, yeah. Probably Harvey Weinstein also will wind up want getting one of those jobs as, uh, you know, an operator of the rap scam. The rap scam uh, body image... Uh, it almost sounds like rape scam. It's, it, you know, isn't that such an invasion of privacy? It's like being raped by... Who are these people? Who are these people? Who are these people? Um, so, I don't know. What's in store for us now? Are we going to, uh, you know, please, please take away our rights. Make us more secure. Uh, I think it's going to be more that uh, if you go to an event... Um, they're probably not going to take your thumbprint anymore. I think you'll actually... They're going to take your thumb. I think that's what it'll be. You know, pick it up on the way out. Uh, don't worry. The Department of Homeland Security Thumb Examination Unit can reattach it. Uh, you know, look at look at the budget that uh, security has and uh, the Department of War, offense and all. So they got to be spending it on something. So... Yeah, we don't we don't trust that it's your your thumbprint, so we're gonna just take your thumb and reattach it uh, after the NFL game. So anyway, yeah, the scanner companies have have hit it again, big time. They'll they'll be everywhere. You're probably going to have to give a stool sample and a urine sample, you know, just to go to the bathroom, which kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, just to go to the bathroom in your own house, huh? Or in your FEMA apartment, by the way. Yes, vegan food at FEMA camps. Come on, demand it. Demand it. And Radio Bobby on the speakers at the exercise yard. Um, and at the airport, yeah. Okay, this is here at uh, JFK Airport. Uh, yeah, the, this is the express line for everybody who has earwax on a Q-tip. Yeah, we'll examine it. We're examining your DNA. Whatever, every body fluid, every, every, everything, everything. Stop and frisk will be stop and take your DNA. You know, now hiring DNA officers. Um, look at companies like OSI. These are the people who are really going to profit. Look at the Chertoff Group um, and uh, Michael Chertoff, the former head of the Department of Deutschland Security, Homeland Security. He's right there. They're, they're making the sales right now, representing these scanning uh, devices, these body imaging companies. Um, they all, they'll be making billions. Huh? So, did, and do these guys really care about people? 
Huh? Do they really care about our our well-being, our welfare, our safety? Because if they did, uh, they would be doing uh, body imaging of uh, your cholesterol, huh? You know, it's like, excuse me, sir, step out of the line. Your cholesterol is really high here. Um, and uh, yeah, they'd be scanning packages for you know for hot dogs, basically. You know, uh, they shouldn't be allowing cow's milk on airplanes. Come on, if they care about people, huh? I mean, let's really talk about what's a threat to Americans more than ISIS, Al-Qaeda, uh, the Russians, the North Koreans, Iran, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the CN enemy media. No, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll get to work on it right away. I'll get to work on the, the body uh, uh, cholesterol uh, scanning machine, the, uh, the, the, the body cholesterol imager and the hot dog scanner. You know, just in case one of my peeps actually is able to displace the deep state, huh? Yeah, right. Look, at, there's so much resistance. Look, in, in Germany, the um, Minister of the Environment moved to have, uh, to remove meat and fish from official meals. That in the land of the wiener. Um, and, of course, a revolt. A revolt to that. And then, what, Air India wanted to just have uh, vegetarian meals, so-called vegetarian meals. I mean, um, you know, if, if it's a non-vegan vegetarian meal, it might as well be meat, but, and a big, big backlash toward that. So, look out, look out when, uh, uh, look at, look out when I'm, when I, when I rule the world, huh? And ban meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Huh? Who is scarier, by the way? Uh, Michael Chertoff or that FBI agent standing behind the sheriff at the uh, Las Vegas press conferences? Huh? Of course, uh, Michael Chertoff. Um, it sounds too close, like, you know, Michael Chertoff. And, of course, if Michael had a shirt off, uh, he would be the scarier of the two. But these two guys, I mean, they think they need to have a stare off, you know? The first one to blink. I don't think they do blink, actually. So, um, but anyway, it, uh, <laughs> is the is the FBI ever going to get its priorities together uh, like the CIA has? Huh? Now, uh, now I know it is important for that guy to to make sure that uh, press conference lying is done properly. But damn it, he's using up. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, agent power, agent hours, right? You know, I mean, darn it, there there are two piglets on the loose. Hasn't he heard? Huh? Calling all cars, calling all, calling all agents. There are two piglets on the loose. Uh, the FBI um, went searching after two piglets. There's an article by Glenn Greenwald in The Intercept about this. And... You know, it was like, uh, what? No, no, no. We don't care. No, we don't. We don't care about more Hillary Clinton emails. We can't read them now. No, we're not interested in the Clinton Foundation. We're not, we don't care about the, the the Democrat primary. Two piglets have been stolen. So, uh, you know, calling all agents. Invade the animal uh, sanctuaries. Um, 
normally animal sanctuaries would be would be safe, but uh, go with guns drawn because you never know if there'll be a a 60-year-old uh, non-profit accountant in the office at the animal sanctuaries. Pretty amazing, huh? Anyway, this is uh, maybe we'll talk about it later in the show, or maybe bring it up with uh, Professor Francione. Uh, but um, yeah, apparently direct action everywhere, rescued, uh, or in the eyes of the FBI, uh, stole. Uh, I guess they could be considered kidnapped, but more harm has come to the piglets, more punishment uh, to the piglets who were kidnapping victims than uh, will ever uh, happen to uh, Hillary Clinton, of course, but Let's get our priorities straight. We are talking about two piglets being missing. Two piglets. Um, right, oh, actually, yes. Yeah, so I was talking about uh, direct action everywhere, um, taking those piglets. Um, it's unfortunate that Direct Action Everywhere, or DXE, is such an anti-vegan organization because if you look in the content of that article by Glenn Greenwald, it sounds like DXE would just be happy if the pigs were taken out of gestation crates and put into group housing. Not a word about anything vegan there. And if we really want to rescue more than two piglets, uh, we all have to go vegan. If we really want to rescue the planet, we have to go vegan. So we have to, we have to at least mention going vegan. And for our uh, pig-eating friends in the UK... This news, it has been, it's been reported uh, in uh, the Sunday Times that up to 60,000 people in Britain this year have been infected by a new, potentially deadly, hepatitis E strain, a liver virus found in bacon, sausages, pork pies, and salami, linked to farms in France, Holland, Germany, and Denmark, the virus is heat-resistant, meaning cooking doesn't kill it, but it could kill you. Um, it attacks your liver and nerves. And uh, go vegan. Go vegan. So, let's see. Coming up on today's program, uh, we're going to talk to artist Preston M. Smith. Yes, we got PMS on today's show. And uh, there's a video about him related to negativity and creativity, both of which interest me. Uh, as I mentioned, we also have Professor Gary Francione coming up on today's program with commentary. And uh, I do want to thank Evolution, Vegan Dog and Cat Food, for its support of the show. Oh, I, I know what else I wanted to discuss. I mean, I uh, wanted to actually get it in here now before uh, before we take the break. Um, so, all right, corruption running rampant everywhere, right? Um, why should the animal rights industry uh, be any different? So some recent shows that we have posted at GoVeganRadio.com on the archives had Stu Chaffetz of Shark. Um, Shark is making accusations against animal charity evaluators, um, 
actually uh, uh, charging uh, fraud and conflicts of interest. And so just recently now, Shark has come out with a new video making accusations against Peter Singer. Yes, that Peter Singer, the author of Animal Liberation. And now talking, uh, I see that Shark is talking about fraud and Animals Australia. And, uh, well, let's uh, actually, let's listen to the audio of the new video just released by Shark about Peter Singer. In August 2017, Shark released a video exposing animal charity evaluators as not being an objective group that reviews a wide range of organizations, but that they promote and direct donations to favored, pre-selected organizations. We believe that this is unethical and it hurts the animals we are fighting for. When we originally looked at animal charity evaluators, we saw that they chose a group called Animals Australia to be a quote standout charity which is their second highest rating. It didn't make any sense to us why they would choose an Australian group to direct donations to when they review so few organizations in America where they are located. Before we get to the answer to that question, we need to take a step back and talk about Peter Singer. Peter Singer is famous, or in many quarters infamous, for his positions on animal issues, infanticide, and even being okay with humans having sex with animals. We put a link to that in our video description so you can watch him talk about it for yourself. Singer is on the Animal Charity Evaluators Advisory Board and according to their 2014 IRS report was once on the board of directors itself. We wrote to Singer a number of times about our concerns but he never responded. After our video was released we saw that Singer had signed on to a pro-truth pledge on his personal website and we wrote to him again. This time we quoted the pledge and that he had violated it by ignoring the unethical actions of the group he advises. Singer wrote back saying he was unconvinced by our video and that he didn't need to be reminded of the contents of the pro-truth pledge. Let's start to put this puzzle together. Animal Charity Evaluators promotes Animals Australia while ignoring literally thousands of organizations in America. Peter Singer has held positions on both the Animal Charity Evaluators Advisory Board and Board of Directors. Now watch as John Bachman, Executive Director of Animal Charity Evaluators, gives us the final piece of this puzzle as he introduces Singer at a symposium in 2016. In 1980, he co-founded Animals Australia. That's right. Peter Singer is the co-founder of Animals Australia. Now we understand why they chose Animals Australia over so many other deserving groups. It's important to understand that being given promotion and a high rating is a very lucrative position and potentially worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations. And if you think this rating doesn't matter, just look at how Animals Australia uses it to promote itself. Quote, Animals Australia has been recognized as one of the 12 most effective animal charities in the world by animal charity evaluators. That's a pretty brazen claim to make, especially in light of the fact that the co-founder of the organization advises the very group that gave it that rating. We are not attacking Animals Australia. They may very well be a good group. 
However, we must note that Peter Singer appears about 100 times on their website and is featured prominently on their donation page. Therefore, though he doesn't currently hold an official position with them, it is clear there is a relationship and it specifically deals with Singer wanting to raise money for the group he co-founded. And that's exactly what happened when animal charity evaluators miraculously declared that Animals Australia is one of the top groups in the entire world. Due to Singer's relationship with both groups, under no circumstances should Animals Australia have ever been eligible to be promoted by animal charity evaluators. That is Ethics 101. That they were shows that Animal Charity Evaluators is not an objective organization, but simply part of an old boys network where friends promote friends over others who may be more deserving. To Peter Singer, you absolutely do need to be reminded of your pro-truth pledge because it is absolutely dishonest and unethical for you to hold official positions with Animal Charity Evaluators while it pushes money towards the group you co-founded. On Singer's website, it says to hold him accountable for his pledge. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Please contact the organization behind the Pro-Truth Pledge and send them this video. Ask them to rescind Peter Singer's pledge as he does not represent the standards they claim to uphold. Please also contact Peter Singer himself and ask that he resign from animal charity evaluators and apologize for this serious breach of ethics. The defense we have heard for animal charity evaluators is that because they choose to support and promote groups that are considered to be part of the effective altruism movement, and there are only a handful of such groups, that of course there are going to be conflicts of interest and somehow this is all okay. It is not. If you cannot operate without ethical conflicts, then that means your business model is corrupt. More to the point, if you are going to do that, don't call yourselves animal charity evaluators because that's a name which any reasonable person would believe means you are reviewing a wide range of organizations. Now, animal charity evaluators was originally called effective animal activism, but they changed the name in December of 2013. They repeatedly referred to this change of name as being, quote, rebranded. The Cambridge Dictionary defines rebranding as, quote, to change the way that an organization, company, or product is seen by the public. Why would they need to rebrand unless they wanted to be perceived as something other than what they truly were? We believe that effective animal activism rebranded as animal charity evaluators as a marketing scheme and a means to deceive the public. Animal charity evaluators continue to deceive the public when they put false information on their GuideStar page where they claim to have quote conducted evaluations of over 300 animal charities in 2016 alone when the fact is that since 2013 they only conducted evaluations for a fraction of that amount. Please watch our original video for much more detail on this including how one of the groups considered for review Ducks Unlimited was listed as being quote general animal welfare when the truth is that Ducks Unlimited is a pro-hunting group responsible for the deaths of millions of animals and they hold cruel live pigeon shoots as fundraisers. That no one from animal charity evaluators did a simple google search 
to learn what Ducks Unlimited was, along with the fact that a majority of the supposed reviews were nothing more than a name and a website link, proved to us that they were stocking their website with phony entries in order to pad the number of supposed reviews they had conducted. The depths of deception animal charity evaluators deployed is stunning and is equaled only by the unethical relationships it has with the groups it promotes and funnels donations to. It is our hope that some law enforcement agency will investigate this further, for we believe what they are doing may constitute consumer fraud. In the radio and podcast interviews we have done since the release of our video, we have repeatedly challenged animal charity evaluators to debate us on the information we presented. No one has taken us up on this. We repeat that challenge here and specifically offer it to Peter Singer because we are not afraid to defend ourselves and our arguments. Sadly, animal charity evaluators doesn't seem to have the same courage of their convictions. To us, that says everything. Okay, there you have it. And once again, I will invite Peter Singer on this program um, to address those accusations. I also invited people from Mercy for Animals, Animal Charity Evaluators, the Humane League, and the Good Food Institute, and uh, also um, uh, Jim Comey, I mean uh, uh, Nick Cooney, um, none of whom accepted that invitation. I will uh, resend the invitation to Peter Singer uh, in light of these new accusations. Okay, it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. You can support us with a tax-deductible donation at GoVeganRadio.com. We are a 501c3 educational nonprofit. Uh, we have Radio Bobby happening now, our 24-7 music station. Um, you go to RadioBobby.com and uh, just enjoy the music and... Um, Let's see, on Twitter we're at Go Vegan Radio, Facebook Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And I do want to thanks, thank Evolution, Vegan Dog and Cat Food, for its support of our program, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden and Radio Bobby. Uh, you get 25% off your first order of dry food if you are a new customer, and you call 800-659-0104. It's 20% off... Uh, if you call the first Wednesday of the month, 20% off dry food, 10% off canned food. So uh, you can go to PetFoodShop.com, PetFoodShop.com, the award-winning evolution. Uh, there is documentation. Uh, it's not a promise, not a guarantee of uh, the dogs living up to 21-plus years, cats living 22-plus years. Uh, enjoying evolution. Uh, there is now the uh, grain-free, gluten-free, hypoallergenic uh, for urinary health, uh, uh, maximum life from evolution, and coming really within within seconds, within minutes, within days, new organic food from evolution. So again, that phone number is 800-659-0104. PetFoodShop.com. I also want to thank Vegetarian House for its ongoing support of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden year after year. 
and in support of RadioBobby.com. Vegetarian House is a 100% organic vegan restaurant in San Jose. If you are in the Bay Area, uh, you owe it to yourself. Head on over there. This is one of the great ones. Check out the menu at VegetarianHouse.us. This is superb international cuisine from appetizers to dessert. You will love Vegetarian House. And as I said, everything is 100% organic, vegan, and delicious. Vegetarian House caters. If you have an event coming up, a social event, a business event, you need the food to be great, you're getting married, you want to impress the in-laws, get in touch with Vegetarian House. Vegetarian House caters. Again, it's at vegetarianhouse.us, 520 East Santa Clara Street in San Jose. Support your local vegan restaurant. Um, they're the people doing they're they're the people doing the rescue work of today. We will continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden with artist Preston M. Smith and coming up uh, later commentary with Professor Gary Francione. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. Uh, please support this program with a tax-deductible donation. There is a donate button at GoVeganRadio.com, and you can uh, subscribe via Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, a dollar an episode, whatever you like. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. I apologize for the background noise. Ben Brayman, my tech person, keeps telling me, you, you have to turn off the fan, you have to turn off the AC, but uh, as you know, we're in Northern California with the wildfires, and we are having the worst air quality in history, so um, that's my excuse for the background noise this week, a few weeks ago it was the heat wave, um, and, but, but, but you, want, you want Daisy and me to be breathing, right, uh, you know, so... Uh, we'll, we'll put up with the, with the background noise and work our way through it. Uh, let's talk now with um, a, uh, an artist, uh, with, with artist Preston M. Smith, or PMS as he is known. Um, weren't those letters taken up already somewhere? But okay. Uh, Preston has worked as a fine artist in Los Angeles uh, for 15 years after graduating from Gonzaga University with a bachelor's degree in fine art, theater arts. Um, his work has been featured alongside David Lynch uh, and at the inaugural Purple Ball for President Obama uh, back in uh, 2009. Okay, so that's good. Back, back, back when he was still, you know, a good guy. <laughs> uh, back when he, uh, well, when, when he could, when he could win the Nobel Peace Prize without people laughing too much. Um, and uh, I, I guess I guess he's still a good guy because he hadn't done anything yet, right? <laughs> Before we knew that, yes, we can meant, uh, yes, we can take away all of your civil liberties, and yes, we can uh, spy on every U.S. citizen. 
Yes, we can drone anybody we want anywhere. Yes, we can drop 25,000 bombs on Muslim countries every year. Yes, we can frack up the world. And uh, yes, uh, we can commission artist Preston M. Smith to print, uh, to paint uh, 12, not, not 10, not 11, but 12 portraits of me. That's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, Preston's work. PMS. Uh, his work was recently part of uh, La Luza Palooza and featured uh, twice at the coaster show at the world famous La Luz de Jesus Gallery. His work has been auctioned at celebrity fundraisers and is in the art collections of uh, a number of celebrities. And uh, I recently became aware of Preston because of a short documentary about him entitled negativity to creativity, both of which really interest me, both negativity and creativity. Welcome, Preston. How are you today? I'm great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. I, 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 I never really had such political commentary in an introduction before. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was enjoying that. <laughs> pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> well, I, I do have to I do have to clear up. So, well, you, have, you can take something else away from Obama if you want. He didn't actually personally commission me. I was commissioned by the people who ran the inaugural Purple Ball. And then these paintings were distributed to celebrities like Ed Harris and Ashley Judd and people like that at the, at the ball. So you can take another thing away from Obama right there. <laughs> I, I kind of liked my story better. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go with it. You can, you can take this part out. Then. Okay. Yes, yes, we can commission 12 portraits of me. Right? So, and and yes. tw 12 of them. So um, yeah. did they, so what did you do? Like, I mean, they had to all be different, right? So Paint by number. No, no, I, I <laughs> no, it was, uh, the, the, the guy who reached out to me said, yeah, I need, I need these and I need them in three weeks. And I was working part time at a restaurant at the time. And so I basically just all of my free time, I didn't sleep at all. It was just kind of a, a whirlwind, a, a little bit of a daze. And yeah, I had to do each one individually, but they wanted them to be as close to a replicate as possible, but having to retaining some sort of, you know, individuality which was hard in and of itself, <laughs> aside from doing 12 of them. So I did my best. I cranked them out, and uh, they came out okay. I had fans all over the apartment drying them, and I think by the time we shipped them out, a, a couple of them were still, <laughs> were still wet, but we, we got the job done. Ah, interesting, very interesting. So uh, what, what, um, what prompted you to become an artist? Like what, what, uh, what said, what, where did you say, when I grow up, I want to be an artist? What? Right. How did that happen? Well, you know, I, I've I've drawn since I was a kid. I was always I was always the you know the kid in the back seat of the car on long trips, just doodling. And I was I was my 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 drawing seemed to kind of sway between uh, Disney characters and nice like basketball scenes and horrific uh, skeletons and, and monsters. So I was I was into that at the time. So that that's where my pop surrealism kind of was spawned. But um, yeah, I just I drew a lot. My my family was in the the movie business. They had a small little uh, independent chain of movie theaters. So I grew up watching a lot of film, and I think I think the visual side of film just kind of spoke to me. So I, I got interested in telling visual pictures, and, um, and like I said at the beginning, that came out in a in a figurative way. So I have a lot of these kind of almost like scenes, freeze frames of uh, uh, of uh, like pop surrealist works 
And now it's kind of transitioned as I've transitioned into more colorful, abstract, really textured, uh, abstract work. Right. Well, I, uh, I've, I've never been, been called upon to be an art critic, but I, I see what, what is written here. Uh, and it does seem to apply when I look at your artwork of it being highly textured, vibrantly colorful. I, I could have come up with those descriptions, you know, look, <laughs> looking, looking at what you're doing. And, oh, good. Uh, <laughs> a, mix, a mixture of both abstract and figurative styles, uh, often in the same work. I, I can see that and bold and, and moody. Um, so I, I, I see what has been said uh, about your work, and I'm, I'm right there. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm no art critic, but why is it that I'm, I'm looking at some of you, I'm looking at something here and I'm thinking, but wait a second, this is garbage. Why did I, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I, I, that's not, why would I say that? Why, why? Well, that, you're right, because I, I actually put garbage into some of my paintings. I have this, <laughs> I have this, uh, this new collection that I'm, I'm, I'm doing called the Garbage Collection, where, I, well, first of all, I've always been finding pieces on the street. Like, I'll, I'll go and kind of scavenge the streets of Los Angeles. I'll find discarded wood and surfaces that I could paint on. I'll come home and clean them up, and I'll use those. So uh, just a way of recycling reclaimed wood and, and cutting down on the amount of materials I buy. So that's, that's first. But then I started to take it a step further. I was like, well, what if I can use my own garbage uh, and put that into the work as well. So I started to just take pieces of trash from my garbage and from the recycling bin, and I would I would blend it up in a blender, or or just tear it up, or cut it up, paste it into the work on the surface, or have pieces of it kind of hanging out uh, with some of the texture. And it ad adds a, its own little unique texture, but it's also kind of a way of making a statement of you know recycling and cutting down on your your carbon footprint. Well, it looks like my, my room is full of art supplies then, apparently, so, yeah. or, 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 <laughs> or, or the potential for it. Um, what do they say? One, one man's garbage is another man's treasure. <laughs> Artwork, art collection yeah, now, yeah, apparently. Yeah, exactly. so, well, and, and are you making a statement then by, by using garbage in, in artwork now? Or? Definitely. I, I think, you know, I, I, my stuff is very uh, personal. I kind of like to try to reflect the human condition in, in general through kind of through my eyes but but I've been I've been really intrigued and interested in talking about climate change recently mm -hmm. and I think that's where the, the garbage collection kind of came from because obviously we're having a little bit of a problem with that these days you might have heard of that uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, ch I'm choking on it right now here with the with the wildfires um, you know, the wildfires in Northern California and the, and the rain events in Texas. We have tornadoes and floods and, you know, major weather events. And uh, anybody who uh, has listened to this program uh, for any length of time knows that I blame the consumption of meat, dairy, fish and eggs on climate change because the world's top climate specialists at the World Bank, uh, Robert uh, Goodland and Jeff Anhang, uh, have done an assessment that they say that uh, animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. At least 51%. That's, you know, everything else combined doesn't add up to at least 51%. So, uh, yeah. you know, so that's, uh, that's fairly major, and, and nobody knows except maybe the people who listen to the show, uh, that those same climate specialists say that uh, the only solution is a massive population shift 
to vegan, the only solution before it's too late. I mean, because people look at, uh, you know, they say, oh, well, we need, no, it's an alternative energy infrastructure. That's what we need. But yeah. that, that would cost $35 trillion and take 20 years, you know, so yep. we're not. We're not quite uh, ready for that. So, so we all have to go vegan, uh, as you have, by the way. You are a vegan. Yes, I am. I am indeed. <laughs> and by the way, I completely agree with you about the fifty-one percent. And uh, you know, that's that's staggering. I had a, I had a friend who argued with me about the percentages. He he tried to say that it was something like thirty-seven. And even if it were thirty-seven, isn't that enough to take right. to take notice? You know, <laughs> right. that, that's still more than all transportation combined. You know, so exactly. Who, who cares about miles per gallon? You know, when it when it comes down to that. So the greatest uh, thing you can do to affect climate change as an individual is go vegan. Is go vegan. It seems to be. It seems to solve everything. So it so does. My, my answer to everything. So um, how how did you go vegan? How did that happen? Well, you know, I think uh, as a kid, I I, I kind of had some roots. I, I I've always loved animals, and I remember two things uh, for me. One was my my best friend and I. We used to hang out every day and there was this kind of neighborhood bully and I remember one day he came over to our place and there was this birdhouse and he reached inside and grabbed the eggs out of it and started cracking the eggs in front of us and watch we watched like the little embryos pour out and we were just crying and screaming and couldn't do anything about it while this kid laughed in our faces and that kind of made a very strong it had a strong impact on me and also of just how Certain people can can be kind of almost you know borderline evil when it comes to this kind of stuff, and that that really freaked me out. But um, also, my family were, were kind of avid fishers. My dad was a great fisherman growing up. Uh, we kind of lived like the movie A River Runs Through It a bit. My brother and I. So we used to go fly fishing all the time. And I remember when I was ten, I I, I just something just kind of grabbed me, and I said, Dad, can we throw the fish back? And they said, Yes, we can. And they listened to me, and, and ever since then, they, they started throwing the fish back. So kind of a step in the, in the right direction. But I guess there was a slow transition after that. I, I, I was eating meat, and I didn't really think much about it. And then I started to get a little bit healthier, and then it just kind of was going in that direction. Then I started to watch a bunch of documentaries, and my wife is actually Argentinian. So she she comes from uh, a country that, that maybe arguably eats more meat than we do. Uh, the United States, and and one day we were watching, I think it was Veducated, and and they were kind of going into a little bit of the animal agriculture and the torturing the animals. And she turned to me and said, "You know, let's just go, let's just go 100% vegan." And I said, "Great!" And we never we never looked back ever Terrific. since then. We've been Terrific. Yeah. yeah. So how long ago was that? Would you say this was about I would say four to five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, but and we were. Do you think yeah. being vegan um, has impacted your your art? Uh, oh man, yeah, it's 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 impacted everything in my life. I think it tends from, to do that. <laughs> it does, yes, no, it does. It, for, first of all, the first thing I noticed was my energy levels just skyrocketed. I just had I had a bunch more energy. I was feeling more positive. I felt I felt great. Uh, I started to look younger, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, and also I started to, as I was connecting more, um, trying to, trying to connect more a little bit personally and spiritually, I, I just felt like I was just becoming a better person, you know, more conscious. And I, I was kind of practicing what I preached a bit and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. And that kind of started to pour into my art, my art kind of transitioned from being 
dark and moody and some people used to call it depressing and even <laughs> something they wouldn't hang on their walls. People would say, I love your art, but I, I, I don't think I can hang it on my walls. And then uh, I started to transition into all this and, and my work just has become really colorful and happy and not, not everything's happy. I'm making a statement with some stuff, but, but even, even, even that's the undercurrent, the statement, but on the surface, it's, it's definitely bright and, and more cheerful and more, I would say more conscious work. We're talking to Preston M. Smith, PMS, PMSArtwork.com is the website, and uh, I guess when, when, when you go to the uh, website of an artist and it says gallery, it's really a gallery, like an art gallery, and I, I, <laughs> I, I, I find it amazing, actually, um, you know, the, 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 the broad range of your artwork, I mean, it's... Uh, Figurative, abstracts, abstract fluid acrylics, micro paintings, uh, landscapes, uh, custom uh, painted uh, wedding dresses and accessories. You're getting pretty specific here. I'm, I'm, pretty, getting, I'm going crazy. Pretty specialized. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a new venture. I'm, I'm starting to do some wedding dress design with a with a local business here. So that's kind of a new thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, what's the process for you? I mean, do you you look at uh, a canvas, a blank canvas, and or what? I mean, you're quite prolific. You know, you're producing a lot. Look, I mean, I look, look at all of these paintings, and look at them, the micro paintings. How did they come about? They're well, yeah. Well, I've started to do at least a painting a day. That's that's been my my thing. It's just you you start to it's it's you kind of treat it like a job, you know. You just you get up and you you work, even if you don't want to. You get up and you and you start to go to work. The micro paintings are interesting. I I, I had this idea one day. This was back when I still was uh, working at a restaurant, and I had this idea to because um, uh, I, I had this local antique store that I would go to, and they'd have these really cool little frames, and I decided you know it'd be interesting to do the opposite, where instead of you know, creating a piece and then, uh, you know, selecting a frame to go with that piece. How about selecting a really cool frame to inspire a painting? So I started to do that, but on a smaller level. And so I would paint all these on glass and it would give these kind of cool surface, even kind of shine and shimmer from an angle, from different angles. And then it would uh, fit with this frame. So that, that kind of became a big series that I'm it's still ongoing. I think I've got about 90 of those, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. And, and then as far as, as far as the process, I just, I just go to work. Sometimes I, I wake up with ideas. Sometimes I, sometimes I will knock around something for a few weeks. But a lot of times I just get in there now and I'll start painting and I'll kind of let the painting speak to me a bit. And and I, even if I have an idea, you get in the moment and then all of a sudden the painting takes you in a completely different direction. And I think as an artist, you have to kind of listen to that, listen to your instincts, and listen to what it's saying to you. It sounds like, uh, to a degree, the writing process, you know, which uh, in which I am engaged, and it's, uh, and I, I have my deadlines also, so it's like by by the time a deadline comes, I better be writing something. You know? Oh <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure you you've, you experienced that too. You just gotta you just gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just have to do it. So, oh, so sure. if, you're, if you're doing a, a painting a day. Oh, then those, those 12 Obama portraits should have been nothing to you, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time, I wasn't doing a painting a day. I was doing more like a painting a week. So it was, that was a big – that was a lesson in, in what I was capable of, which at the time I, I just jumped in. I, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. <laughs> so. 
So I see on, on the website, pmsartwork.com, also in the gallery, limited edition, art, limited edition art prints, the videos, which I enjoy, the animation, sketches and illustrations. Um, I, find, uh, I find your, I mean, it's really uh, very uh, beautiful, actually, you know, just very bold and colorful and uh, really, uh, really enjoyed looking at, uh, at what you have there. So, Thank you. Uh, I, I want to, if I could, I wanted to tell you your, for your audience, if, if um, I know you have some dedicated listeners, if, they, if they're interested in checking it out and even uh, purchasing a piece, I made a little discount for just for your listeners. So they just have to type in "go vegan" in all caps, uh, all all together, one word, "go vegan," and then they get ten percent off. And anybody who purchases a, a piece that is a listener of yours, I will uh, donate part of the proceeds to your show. Terrific. Okay, so then uh, go to uh, pmsartwork.com, and your code is GoVegan, all in caps. You mm -hmm. get a you get a discount, and we'll get a donation to Go Vegan Radio. And we are coming up on the gift giving season, so right. uh, this would uh, make a, a a great suggestion for for a gift. Um, and uh, oh, so let's talk a little bit about the um, the video. Um, yes. Or the yeah the. Uh, um, documentary negativity to creativity um talk, tell us about that yeah well i i actually had an interview with um this guy steve molter he goes around and finds people and he does his interviews called five questions where he'll just in his travels he meets people um that he likes or he finds interesting in some way and then he will ask them five questions and he lives in los angeles so he came over one day and, and, and interviewed me and he brought along a guy last minute he said, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I've got a guy who's shooting a documentary of me. Do, do you mind?" And I said, "No, no problem." And he came in and we we did the interview. And I met the uh, documentarian. Uh, his name's Tony Lugo Ponce. And he he took me aside afterwards and said, "I'd love to do one of these on you as well, if you don't mind." And I said, "That'd be great." So we set something up, and he kind of came in and and followed me throughout the day and in, in the process of creating a whole painting. And, and it was one of the, the garbage paintings that we mentioned earlier. And so he just filmed the whole process and did an interview with me and kind of picked my brain and put it together. And I think he did a great job. And, and yeah, it kind of highlights a little bit of uh, my feelings about climate change, which are, you know, completely tied into being vegan as we, as we spoke about earlier. So, mm -hmm. so, but negativity to creativity, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, nothing to be sorry about. Uh, that saying sorry was too negative. Let's be more creative. <laughs> Let's be creative. <laughs> let me let me let me let me be creative with that. Uh, yeah. So that's that's something that I, I think we all go through as as human beings, and and that's what I wanted to touch on a little bit. I think that's how it starts off is um, uh, talking about success as an artist, and I think I think that's a very subjective term, especially in the art world, what success is. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people in the art world who, who secretly don't think that they deserve success. You know, there's a lot of self-doubt in the art world and, and there's a lot of rejection in the art world. I mean, I, I think I probably get rejections, you know, 10 to 20 times a week if I'm, if I'm putting my, my stuff out there, if I'm submitting to grants or galleries or, you know, you name it. If, if you're not getting if you're not getting rejections, you're not you're not moving forward 
in, in the art world. So, uh, well, that's, and that, I, that could be, you know, the, the world in general too. I, um, yeah. in, in, my, in my radio career, you know, I was, uh, on air as an on-air host or disc jockey throughout my career. So I would have to send around tapes and resumes and rejection was my life, you know, and, yep. uh, you know, at, at a certain point you have to realize that it that is a part of life and people in sales get rejected all the time so you have to tell yourself well each no brings me closer to the next yes okay well that's yeah. <laughs> that's exa- no that's exactly right and 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 I think as an artist too I think it's kind of a it's a blessing and a curse but I think that as far as the creativity aspect of it you 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 should be if you're doing your job as an artist I think you take all those you know all those rejections and the negativity that you experience and you use that as fuel for your fire and you turn that into uh, something creative so I, I, I totally relate to this I mean I you yeah. know, in, in, in what I'm doing and in doing the radio work and putting together uh, special events um, I, I can relate to this I can relate to you to, to you talking about success and people thinking that they they don't deserve success or they don't deserve the money or you know whatever right. whatever that might be I don't know uh, maybe that's part of the human condition I don't know self doubt is, is that what I, mean, what, uh, I think yeah no I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right I think I think it's like uh, it's just as an artist it's uh, it's somewhat amplified because first of all I think. I think artists are 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 very sensitive. Right, <laughs> right, so, right, right. For sensitivity, sure. Yeah, yeah. So we we ta- I think we take the 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 rejections and the negativity uh, to heart, and it can really cripple you as an artist, and it can cripple you as a human being in general. I I, I completely agree with you. Everybody experiences this, um, but it, it's it's nice to be able to have a, a direct outlet where you can take that, and you know it's it's cathartic. You can just turn it into something hopefully beautiful or something that makes a statement about what's what's bothering you at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to think that I that my, uh, my I have a masterpiece now. I feel it's my masterpiece, which is uh, Radio Bobby, which is the music station that I yes. recently launched. Uh, yeah, it's great. Oh, you like it? Do you? I love it. <laughs> RadioBobby.com. And uh, my, my approach to radio, I was a music program director for many years at radio stations around the country. And I believe that I took an artistic approach um, to to what I was doing, and uh, well, it was very very unusual in radio. I actually listened to the music uh, to base my decisions for for adding it uh, to the radio station. Uh, for, uh, oh, nice! You know, um, but uh, the the normal condition in radio was that a consultant would tell you what to play, or the charts would, or you'd be doing research or whatever. But uh, you know, for me, it's. Uh, uh, it's been listening, so so actually my, you know my my paintbrush is kind of my ear, I would imagine, uh, you know that's that, that, that's what I was considered in radio. I was considered you know for my ear, my talent was for my ear. Um, so, yeah, well that's uh, also very interesting. I've I've always, I've always wondered that actually about radio. So you you just kind of uh, enlightened us to you know gave away a little secret about the uh, the radio world. Right. So that, well, that gives me a lot of respect for for you and and um, for anybody who does that, who makes their own choices in that world. Yeah, well, I was I was very lucky, um, you know. Like, okay, so so my ear is is my paintbrush. Uh, I guess Van Gogh would have had a or Van Gogh would not, <laughs> would have had a problem. Like, keep, keep your ear; you you might need it for artwork in the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and very strange to, to you know that that's 
how I was known or why I was known for my uh, ear or creativity with music. Uh, but I was very lucky because most people don't get that opportunity. I, uh, you know, I went, I was involved with my college radio station. This would be. Uh, back in the early 70s, and so um, I got to pick my own music, I went to a, pro a progressive, I was hired at a small progressive rock station in Santa Maria, California, where I picked my own music. Um, it's very rare that, that anybody gets the opportunity to do that, and then eventually a, a, a new general manager came to the station and said, well, can you make uh, the whole station sound like your show, because he liked my ear, you know, my, my selections, which was what what led to it so oh that's um, really cool yeah and, i thought and, i thought you were gonna say he put he he put the kibosh on it he he said no more of that <laughs> but that but he actually let you run with it that's great he, he let me run with it and uh you know in the future in, in future job interviews it was discussed that i needed creative control you know that that's you know it's, it, it wasn't a bad thing it's just some places allow you to have creative control and others bring in four consultants to second guess you and all sorts of things so um right. So, I, you know, and uh, I think somebody explained it. One of the general managers said uh, something like, well, well, when Rembrandt is painting, he doesn't turn around and ask somebody like, should I put a little more blue over here or something? It's <laughs> like, you know, you're like, <laughs> you know, you, you have the creative control. You, you're not asking some, you're not consulting somebody to say, should I put a little more yellow, you know, on, on right. this? You know, right. So. Well, I would take that a step further even to say that, especially um, as a painter, I think it's probably the same in, in any of the artistic fields, but but when you start to overthink your own work even, when you start to think about your audience before it's done and you start to think, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to do this. The, the people will like this or, you know, critics will like this or whatnot. I think that kills it because you all of a sudden you're stuck in your head. It's become too cerebral. I think the best kind of work comes out of that real true moment of, of being present and inspired, you know. And, and then it pleases you like. Uh, yes. Right? So, so, right. Right? So, right. So so you're 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 the fan of the work. It's like, yeah, which is the way it works for me. I'm like my I'm I'm a listener to Radio mm -hmm. Bobby. You know, I I I I could appreciate it from the listener point of view, basically, because I'm that listener. I'm not doing it for somebody else to say, oh, I hope Daisy likes this song. Although I do, think that's <laughs> right, Daisy, baby. Daisy needs Daisy needs a portrait, right? She's just so beautiful. <laughs> such a beautiful girl. So, so maybe the Go Vegan Radio listeners will want portraits of Daisy and, and they'll put in the code go vegan g-o-v-e-g-a-n all in capital letters and I know you can produce at least one of Daisy every day right so oh yeah of course <laughs> now, the, the other thing with artists I mean we always feel like there's there's a darkness a pessimism you know what I mean that that you know for artwork you know that, that it has to come out of that sometimes you know like like right. that's what leads to it you think uh, and, and you talk about being comfortable with the uncomfortable in, in the uh, in, in the documentary. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, that's 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 kind of the age-old question: is is if you have to be, if you have to really go through it and experience that kind of tortured, you know, starving artist uh, mentality. I guess I, you know, for me, I did. I actually did. I had I had a I had about a decade where I I really subscribed to that, where I was you know. Oh, I was this dark, depressive—not depressive. I, I had a sense of humor, but but at the same time, I just I was I was feeling so much. You know, I felt like nobody's 
nobody's paying attention to me. Nobody's paying attention to my work. And I would go home and I'd, you know, drink some vodka or whiskey and I would, I would paint and, and feel sorry for myself and, and really live that kind of tortured, impoverished artist lifestyle. And luckily, luckily I made some, uh, some transitions in my life and, and I met my wife too. And, and going vegan obviously helped becoming a little more spiritual. Um, but I, I turned the corner and I realized that, you know what, you, you can be, you can be happy and be an artist. Um, I think as long as you're conveying, as long as you're conveying real emotions, I think as long as you're being honest to your experience, uh, or, or saying something about the human condition in some way that's, that's valid, I think you have a, a voice and you have something to say. I do think that some artists definitely benefited. And I think I did personally benefited from, from going through an intense period and coming out on the other side. Uh, unfortunately, some people don't ever come out on the other side. You know, some people like, like Van Gogh or Van Gogh, uh, he, he definitely didn't come out on the other side. So what you have to do, especially nowadays, is I think you have to realize that nobody's going to get your artwork out into the world but you. I felt like I was going to, if I created enough really good work, somebody was going to come and discover me. And, and oh, we're going to take care of all your problems and put you out there into the world. But I, I realized it, it took me a little time, <laughs> but I realized that that wasn't going to be the case. So I started to develop a little bit of an entrepreneurial side. And I, and I started to really, you know, kind of master the business side and push my artwork out there and get a little more involved in social media and the internets. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and just just push my artwork out there, and and I think I think it's it's served me well. I think more people see my work now and and have responded to it, which is great. So tell us where you are on social media. How where where are you, and what uh, how people reach you? Yes, uh, well, my 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 handle on everything is PMS artwork. Uh, so at, at PMS artwork, but you can go to you know anything uh, uh, facebook.com slash PMS artwork, instagram.com slash PMS artwork. Uh, just plug in PMS artwork in any of those, and you'll find me. Um, PMS, by the way, I heard you say something about that earlier. Wasn't that already taken? And <laughs> I definitely agree with you that it is taken, but, but, uh, I, those are my initials. That's where that came from. It's a little shorter way to sign, but also for me, I, I, I took it as a way of, of, um, kind of not taking myself too seriously, but also, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I got really embarrassed by, a kid in sex ed class who, who, who called me out in the middle of class saying Preston's initials are PMS and the whole class and the whole class just like, broke into laughter. And so <laughs> I decided at that point that I was going to make PMS my own and, 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 you know, reclaim that and, and not be embarrassed by that anymore. So, well, well it is your own. So you know, <laughs> yeah. you're Preston M. Smith. So you, you I guess you're, so. you're allowed. So you All just right. reminded me of something that I never would have uh, considered again, but I was in elementary school and I think I was talking in front of the class, and uh, I remember the name of the person was Harold Weiss, and he was like, uh, uh, like heckling me or something. Uh -huh. So, so I said, Harold's middle name is Milton, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And the whole class started laughing, and he threw something at me. You know, it's like so. Um, and uh, not, not to not to upset anybody named Milton. You know what right. I mean? But it's <laughs> at the time, at the right. time. So I don't know. <laughs> Mil Milton Milton's a good solid name. And I, well, I wish I would have thought about that. I would I should have thrown something at this kid, but I just got really embarrassed and <laughs> shut down. Right. So uh, and uh, Milton Mills, M.D., a wonderful vegan uh, medical doctor. No offense. I was a little elementary school 
child. I, I've come, <laughs> come to really appreciate the name Milton now. So, um, and uh, have you been writing? I, I see you have books listed also on um, the website pmsartwork.com. So, yes, um, Glaze City Eyes, the city will rise, uh, the Blue Period. Um, are you? Were you writing? Are you writing? What? What? Uh, yeah, well, that was another that was another outlet for me. Uh, my my dad was uh, kind of a writer in his spare time. He won this Hemingway short short story contest, and he he always kind of encouraged me to read growing up. And I I got into all the all, all the greats, and you know, um, reading on the road, reading a lot of Hemingway, Tolstoy, a bunch of stuff like that. And I <clears throat> it's funny, I wasn't actually great at English in in school growing up, but but I started to develop a feel for it as I got older and I actually got really into Charles Bukowski, who's kind of a crazy character in, in the in the writing world. But I, I really like his poetry style. And I started trying a little bit of that out on my own. And then it kind of developed into a novel when I was about 27, when I was going through a little minor health crisis. And it was kind of a coping mechanism for me. So I got like a novel out of that. And then later on, I, I wrote I co-wrote a book with my one of my best friends called Glaze City Eyes. And this is, if you want dark and depressing, there you go. That's, <laughs> that, that's the one for you. And then, uh, although there, although obviously the character turns a corner at the end, so you got to stick with it, but it's, it's, it's definitely a hopeful ending to a, a kind of depressing story at the beginning. But, um, and then, uh, the city will rise is, or the city rises. I, I can't even remember now the city, uh, I think it was the city will rise. No? Yeah, the exactly. city will rise. Okay. Sorry, I have it. Any, anytime you need a consultant to help you out with your your own titles, <laughs> give me a call. Please. I've got so many titles, Bob. I, I can't remember any of them. Right, you're doing a painting a day. Who could remember? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but that one's a collection of poetry and and paintings. So uh, they're all self published. You can get them on on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the blue period, uh, which I th- I think I started reading and and uh, may have looked at a page or two and thought. I'm kind of enjoying this. I'll have to come back to it, you know. But, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So that one's a, that one's the the one that's very autobiographical. That's that's about kind of me as a painter going through that that period of of being the tortured artist. So if you're interested in that, uh, that's that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I noticed something there. I noticed a reference to Vinton Avenue in Los Angeles. Yes. I lived I, on Vinton. <laughs> I lived on Vinton. You did? I did. I, I'm no thinking way. of all the streets in Los Angeles. I'm looking at the first couple of pages of your book, and it's Vinton Avenue. I, it was, wow. It was 3538 Vinton Avenue, as I recall. 30, so. I, mine was, I think it was 3663. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> lived about a block away from that. About a block, but, you know, I'm sure at different times, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, it was it was it called when 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 did you live there? Oh, um, this would have been, you know, my my mother moved from New York to to California, and I finished at uh, Queens College, City University of New York, and so probably around just seventy five ish or so. So probably before you were born, even, but uh, uh, just a just a yeah. just a tap. Yeah, just the, the <laughs> mid seventies there. So, so well, um, was it called Palms back yes, then? Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. So yeah, it's still called Palms. Although you wouldn't recognize it now. It's. I mean, I barely recognize it. And I've only lived here for about fifteen, sixteen years. But it. Uh, it's definitely been gentrified, and it's. It's looking good, but you, you almost can't afford to live here anymore. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
where, where can you afford to live? Right. Uh, you know, so... Uh, true, but, very but, true. But we're getting by, so, yeah. So yeah. I thought that was amazing. Wow. Vincent wow, Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's, uh, I, I, lived, I lived basically for about 10 years, I lived on about six or seven different streets in Palms. So I just kind of skipped around that, <laughs> that neighborhood. Right, and there was the, um, I guess there was the Hare Krishna temple that was nearby. Still there, and, still there yeah. Yeah, so that's still there. And uh, the restaurant, I think, was nearby, the Hare Krishna Restaurant. Yep. So, yep. There too. That's, yeah. Uh, yep. It was called Palm. So, yeah. Oh wow, that's great. That's so. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anything else that we uh, haven't covered that you would like to hear? I just want to remind people we're talking to Preston M. Smith, PMSArtwork.com. Um, also the same on Facebook and uh, Twitter and. Also, uh, Preston is kind enough to offer listeners of Go Vegan Radio um, a discount, a 10% discount on any artwork uh, ordered at uh, PMS. Would they order it at PMSArtwork.com? Is that how that Yes, that's correct. correct. Right. So there's a discount there, and then Preston will make a donation to, to his neighbor, uh, from Vinton Avenue, <laughs> or, or at least his, his neighbor's uh, non-profit, 501c3. So, yeah. yeah, anything that you uh, wanted to mention that we haven't uh, discussed here today? Well, uh, you know, I think I, I was thinking about something. I, I was listening to your, your show, and I was thinking about, you know, to, it, how it's, it's a very it's a very interesting point in time right now that we live in with, you know, climate change and our, the political climate. And I think it's I think it's more important than ever to get people to go vegan right now, which I, I, I know you agree with. <clears throat> but it's it seems to be that seems to be the hardest thing to do uh, is to get people because it seems like people just have blinders on and even people who are, are semi-conscious and love animals, they, they don't make the connection really. So so how do we go about, you know, getting that message to people without putting them off? That's that's like my the, the biggest thing that I ponder uh, recently. I, a lot of times I, I try to lead by example. And, and, and people will come to me a lot of times and say like, oh, wow, well, this seems to be working for you. And they'll ask questions and then they start to do it and we'll start going to vegan restaurants together. And that's great, but it just feels like we don't have enough time to do that for each person. So I don't know what we need to do. Uh, I don't know if you have any suggestions, but uh, there's, one, there's one thing that I, I want to do. I, I kind of want to make – not that it's not, but I think there's a major portion of, of the um, – uh, the United States and even maybe the world who kind of doesn't see veganism as being very cool. And I think we need to make it cool again. You know, we need to make it kind of have this almost like punk rock aesthetic where, where it's cool and rebellious and, uh, you know, anti-establishment. I, I, I think there is some of that out there. I do, I do yeah? feel that, that, that there, there is that. Good. Um, good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, not to be a, a pessimistic artist, but um, <laughs> we, we have gone from uh, 1% of the population in the U.S. being vegan, according to a uh, report by our uh, study in the U.K., uh, we've gone from 1% in 2014 to 6% of the population in the U.S. identifying itself as vegan. That's so amazing. It's, yeah. You know, so we, we just have to 
to keep pushing ahead. I'll uh, I'll take credit. I've been doing the vegan show for 16 years, so I've you know this that's the uh, and, and there's no uh, you know it's it's it, it, go vegan is in the title, so there's no ulterior motive. Everybody right. knows that that's what that's my issue. Um, I if if you would create um, some wonderful artwork that is on the edgy side that includes the word vegan, um, perhaps uh, you know clothing. Uh, yeah, I, I wear. I, I'm, I'm always wearing vegan T-shirts, sweatshirts, caps, and people start to talk to me about it. A lot of people open that conversation. So that's a good idea. Um, that's so, a really good idea. And, that's and, why I wanted to bring it up to you because I thought you might have some good insights on it. Um, also, if you ever if you ever hear of a really good uh, vegan festival or something that needs artists or anything, I would I'd love to participate. Well, terrific. I, I always need artwork, and uh, I'm, I'm working on, on, a, on an idea right now. I, um, I organized, the uh, last couple of years, I organized the World Vegan Summit and Expo. The first one was in L.A. in Marina del Rey, um, and then uh, last year it was uh, in Berkeley. Right. And uh, I'm they're, they're, p- people are clamoring for that, but I'm still... Uh, suffering the consequences of <laughs> the uh, financial aspect, the the the, the uh, amount of energy and human power that it takes. I mean, it's really really difficult. So I'm not really yeah. I'm not really working on a World Vegan Summit and Expo right now. Although people are asking for it, you know, it's like, well, if you can raise the money, great. You know, we'll we'll do it. Uh, but I am working on on another idea, um, and uh, I shouldn't mention it now until. You know, there's a little more uh, down the road, but it would it would relate to uh, music and an event, and uh, so yeah, I might oh uh, very very might, cool might might be calling upon you for that, but uh, you know how cool is the word vegan? So how yeah. how, much, how much artwork can we do with the word vegan? I'm sure a lot of vegans would buy it, but also yeah. you know whenever you know if you wear a button that says vegan, a cap or whatever. People will talk to you about it. It, it is something that interests people. It, it is the growing thing. If, if it's the only way to save the world from climate change, yes. then, then we have to put our creativity toward um, you know, getting it in front of people in, in, in a positive way. You know? And uh, if it's what can, if it can save the family you know, the, related to human health, I mean, the connections to heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes are pretty much confirmed by, you know, every study that comes out. Um, yeah, that's you know, true. It, it, it's a family issue. It's, a, you know, we, we want mom and dad to be around. We don't want them to die of premature death. I mean, we, we really have everything on our side. Going going vegan, you mentioned uh, Tolstoy before that you were into reading Tolstoy. Tolstoy said, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlefields. So, I love that quote. Yeah, yeah that's a great quote. You know, so... Um, it, it's up to us as artists and communicators and all to to figure this out, you know, because uh, there's a lot of ammunition on the other side that that's wrong, you know. That's uh, you know, look look at all the the art that goes or you know the it goes into promoting meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. All the commercials that use comedy, you know, they use comedy, sex, whatever to to sell, um, you know, something that's that's really putrid and, and disgusting you know like, well yeah you know de- decomposing body parts maybe maybe we we bring the dark side out in the art like what 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 really are uh, you know meat dairy fish and eggs and you know you're, you're eating a, a, a decomposing corpse you know covered with pathogens fecal, right. fecal covered 
you know, they're here. I'm I'm ready to paint this stuff myself right now. A painting a day. I want to see. I want to see. I must say, I really did enjoy art in in school, but um, and I guess my masterpiece, like in elementary school, was I I created a field of uh, grass by little vertical lines like. Uh, blue, yellow, blue, yellow, blue, yellow, and then your eye mixed it, or one's eye would mix it into the green field, but it was oh, all yeah. little blue, yellow lines. So, oh, I, nice. I thought that was amazing. But then when it came down to trying to draw anything realistic, and I saw what you know, my my the, Timothy Wong, my my the student next to me was drawing like portraits of people. It's like I, <laughs> I I can only draw like a circle, a dot, and a, and a smile. You know what I mean? So that was like okay, I don't I don't know how far this is go, but I but I enjoy it. I mean, it's therapy. You know, just doodling and you know, I mean, it's really it's great. Oh, was there something about you having um, an eye condition when you were first starting that influenced your like? Yeah, well. When I was a kid, I, I, I was I was cross-eyed. Well, I was cross-eyed uh, every other day. It was called alternate day strabismus. So basically, one day I'd be fine, the next day I'd be cross-eyed. And uh, I had an operation when I was around three years old, uh, laser surgery to to correct it. But I've always kind of had a little bit of a lazy eye, and, and the doctors tell me that I have no depth perception. So apparently, I have no depth perception. So, however, I played sports. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but maybe I developed my own my own style. But I think that that kind of um, I, I I don't know how that couldn't have influenced me in some way in, in in you know the way I visually kind of see the world and and how that you know goes in translates into paintings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I I look forward. I mean, look at all the categories you have. Let's see. Do I, have, do I have it here in front of me? All the categories you have in your gallery. I mean, it's really quite amazing, just uh, the scope of your work. I'm, I'm looking forward to the vegan collection now or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's going to be called Bob-inspired Bob vegan collection. Oh, I, I, I like it. Okay, I, I like <laughs> it. I mean, you have figurative abstracts, abstract fluid acrylics, Micro paintings, landscapes. Is is there something that's your favorite to do? Or oh man, you know, if you would ask me this five years ago, I would say surrealism for sure. But I, I I'm right now. I'm just on. I'm on this textured abstract kick. So I'd say oil, abstract oils are probably my my favorite right now. But that could that could change in a year. So we'll see. Well, they're very uh, bold and colorful and dynamic, and uh, I uh, appreciate what you're doing, and uh, so glad that you're. Um, so into uh, you know promoting veganism and seeing how we can you know help others uh, see it also. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So thanks for being with us today, Preston. We'll we'll stay in touch. We'll look forward to uh, Bob's inspired vegan collection in your gallery <laughs> at pmsartwork.com. Coming and soon. Coming soon. Uh, highly textured, vibrantly colorful vegan artwork coming soon. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing a, a painting a day, you know, you can 
put a couple of days into it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll become the t-shirts and caps that uh, help change the world. You know, that, uh, Maybe so. I hope so. That'd be okay. great. Okay. So again, uh, Preston is kind enough to offer a 10% discount to Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden listeners by going to pmsartwork.com. You have a special code, Go Vegan, all in caps. That gets you the discount. And that gets us a donation to Go Vegan Radio so uh, we can continue uh, this uh, artistic endeavor of, uh, of the airwaves. So thanks for being with us today, Preston. Bob, thanks for having me on and thanks for everything you do. Pleasure. Thanks. at our universities these days, huh? Um, from uh, foods52.com. Uh, will the vegan hard-boiled egg be your next favorite snack? Well, students at the University of Udine in northern Italy have developed a hard-boiled egg, a combination of... Uh, a vegan hard-boiled egg, that is, combination of legumes, vegetable oils, gelling agents, and salt. So, uh, all right, uh, important work being done at the university level. Actually, I would then, uh, I'd be interested myself in taking that and mashing it up with uh, Veginase. Sounds good. Okay. And, um, oh, um, a great gift idea. We've been talking about it on Radio Bobby and it's that uh, the season's kind of coming up. So uh, I want to let you know about the My Life Coloring Book and My Life Coloring Page from vegan artist Victoria Hart. And what it is is uh, you put your heart into this art project because it's a fun, creative, educational experience uh, from Victoria Hart. Um, you and the kids will be coloring pages starring your beloved dog, cat, or other animal family members. Uh, all you do is send Victoria a JPEG. It's that easy. Details and samples are on her website. You can go to uh, victoriahart.weebly.com. 
www.weebly.com, victoriahart.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y, and uh, get into that. And let's see here what else is going on. Um, I want you to know about uh, possumswelcome.org, uh, the website to learn about an animal sanctuary in the making. This nonprofit is seeking coastal land uh, for this farm animal sanctuary. It's a great vision where there will be a small vegan cafe, a small five-room five uh, B&B, and weekly seminars uh, to take place, learning about veganic farming and yoga, vegan cooking, and uh, how to be more conscious and compassionate. So you can help make this dream become a reality and uh, you know, help get uh, some uh, coastal land and uh, see what we can do to make this sanctuary happen. Um, so get in touch at uh, possumswelcome.org possumswelcome.org uh, you can email christine at possumswelcome.org christine at possumswelcome.org yes uh, christine is uh, is my hero christine garcia who uh, is an attorney who has dedicated her life uh, you know i mean her her legal experience all really in the defense of dogs that's how she has uh, dedicated her life uh, so she she's uh, truly a uh, heroic person. So, and if you want to support a hot and sexy vegan fashion line, go visit sonusdenim.com and uh, support a vegan company. Um, and that is spelled S-O-N is in Nancy A-S Denim D-E-N-I-M like uh, jeans.com sonusdenim.com each gene, each gene, each chromosome, uh, each each uh, each atom is uniquely made of uh, up to uh, fifty uh, of up to fifty pieces of denim and made in sunny California. Uh, they sell yoga pants also and uh, support uh, animal causes. So um, you'll love the products because they look and feel great. And they are entirely cruelty-free. Uh, that's sonusdenim.com. Sonusdenim.com for men and women. Sonusdenim.com. Okay, it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at goveganradio.com. Uh, please uh, support us with a tax-deductible donation at goveganradio.com. You can also become a subscriber via Patreon, and that information is also at GoVeganRadio.com. Professor Gary Francione, coming up next.
continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Twitter, at Go Vegan Radio. And don't forget, there's uh, Radio Bobby, RadioBobby.com, when you want to escape from it all. And uh, it seems like I've escaped uh, for a bit here under the guise of technical problems. And wouldn't you know it, we've, we've now solved it to where even I can get this show happening. And uh, you know, we, we had a couple of uh, incidents with uh, Professor Francione, Professor Gary Francione now joining us for weekly commentary. It's, uh, it's amazing. We're, we're, we're back on the air and, and back in business uh, after uh, figuring out that my, my fancy schmancy microphone was what was crashing my computer, not Skype, not Audacity, none of those programs. But uh, So now uh, we will use the unfancy unschmancy uh, regular uh, microphone on the computer here and it's working we haven't been you know we haven't crashed so here we are again professor francione how have you been i'm fine bob i'm fine i'm glad that it's uh, come back to life i've had a lot of inquiries people have been asking me what's going on if you've abandoned vegan radio to to, to be um to do uh, radio bobby and i have assured people that no this is just um a lack of technical expertise on your part. That it is. Uh, even though back in my real radio days, I had a, uh, I had an FCC third-class license with broadcast endorsement. You know that you would you would hang on the wall like a diploma. Um, I'm not quite sure what that meant. I I think we were able to read meters and watts or some something to that effect. But well, my I yeah. guess my guess is things have changed dramatically since, <laughs> uh, and that. That whatever you were qualified to do back then probably is absolutely no. Uh, I, I, I'm not qualified to do anything now uh, except to panic when somebody says, okay, go to settings. So so as soon as somebody says that to me, it, it throws me in a panic. So that's my technical uh, expertise right now. But uh, if it comes to turning something on or off, that could work. Oh, and I also learned that if things don't really work, if you're having severe technical problems, usually if you pull the plug out, you know, the electrical cord for a moment and put it back in, that tends to solve it. So that replaced the, um, the radio station engineer of the past. We, you know, whenever something went wrong at the radio station, I called the engineer who came running in and it usually fixed itself as soon as he or she appeared in the studio. And then when he or she left, uh, you know, came back. But uh, so now uh, that, that engineer from the radio station has been repl- replaced by pull the plug out of the socket and put it back in. I so see. I these, these are the little helpful hints that I have. Indeed. Uh, you know. Indeed. <laughs> and by the way, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little woozy now. It's, uh, we have these uh, wildfires here up in Northern California, and uh, it's, it's just really smoky everywhere. It's really kind of a, kind of a mess. And so I'm, I'm taking it personally now, you know, the, the those, uh, Climate specialists at the World Bank say that uh, animal agriculture is the main cause of climate change. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm being forced now to choke on smoke. Daisy and I, our eyes are burning from. I like people to cut out the the meat, dairy, fish, and eggs here, and yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, well, uh, the the it's the wor- apparently it's the worst wildfire in California's history. Yeah, we're breathing it. We're breathing it. We we know. I mean, we're, fortunately, we're not burning in it or having you know the, our house burnt to, the, to a crisp like 
like has happened to many people. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing what's happening here, and there, there's no escaping the smoke. I mean, a lot of people are walking around with masks on their face, you know, putting those masks on. I don't know if they do any good, but I would feel guilty taking Daisy for a walk, and I'm I'm wearing a mask, and she doesn't have one, even though she doesn't want to have it on. But, but we are trying to take just really quick walks. And uh, I also I see that uh, Animal Place uh, has, you know, its sanctuary had to be evacuated because of the fires. And, you know, so they need volunteers with the animals there. As much as, you know, I've, I've had, uh, you know, disagreements with its, uh, you know, stances on some issues in the past, you know, the, the animals need help. So if people can, can volunteer, it's, it's uh, been evacuated today. Well, that's really quite horrible, um, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I so so you're actually you're actually um, you, 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 the the smoke is detectable where you are. Everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, I uh, here in the East Bay. I mean, you you know you, you can see it. It's detectable. You see it. You smell it. You feel it. Um, and you know, you, after a little while, you kind of get a little bit of a headache out of the thing. And um, and you know, I. I Kind of ran out of food for Daisy, so I had to go to Berkeley. It's it's everywhere. It's uh, you know everywhere in the Bay Area. It's uh, it's like we're on fire. It's it's hell on earth, uh, caused by people eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. If if nobody has said that, that's kind of how I feel about it. You know, it's like you know it's like California's being. It smells like California's being barbecued right now. You know, the whole state. So. Wow. And uh, we really would be great to have some wind, you know, to, you know, to blow it, you know, to Utah or something or wherever or Arizona or wherever, wherever it is to the east of us here or some rain, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. Wow. Well, it sounds horrible. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I was um, this week I had an interesting exchange, which I thought raised some some interesting questions about. The, the level of understanding or misunderstanding of animal advocates. And it really sort of brought home to me uh, that um, a lot of animal activists really are not taking the time to think through issues. What happened was I made a comment. I've been critical of the anonymous for the voiceless people who stand in the cube of truth and show slaughterhouse videos and whatnot. And I, um, I uh, had, had gotten some comments from people who uh, know that I'm an animal person but, uh, and, and, and who saw these demonstrations and there was nobody there for them to talk to about anything. So they were confused about why there were people standing there wearing Guy Fawkes masks, showing videos. And um, apparently there were people but just, you know, who were, who were speaking to people who, who approached the exhibit. But um, but there weren't enough of them and whatnot, so they were, didn't get a chance to talk. And so they asked me what was going on and why everybody was silent and whatnot. And so I made a comment about you know this business of you know being a, a silent advocate and taking a vow of silence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I got flooded by all of these people who are supporters of and involved with Anonymous for the Voiceless, and um, and. They were telling me, oh, well, there's a lot of people, you know, there, there, it are, there are usually people there, uh, a number of people there who talk to people about veganism and, um, and that they're abolitionists and they're, you know, they couldn't understand why I was even being at all uh, 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 critical because they're abolitionists. And I, 
I went to their page, and they promote PETA and Mercy for Animals and 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 a number of other problematic organizations and 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 uh, individuals, and I um I was quite amazed uh, that when I got back, you know, when I saw this and then I, I, I posted a response saying, well, wait a minute, you're not abolitionists. You support all of these, these organizations that promote animal exploitation. And, um, and, and again, uh, they got very upset with me and some of them, a number of them I had to simply ban because they got abusive and called me and other people uh, names and whatnot, just silly. But it was absolutely clear to me that what came out of the discussion was the, the fact that they think that abolition means you want to ultimately abolish animal exploitation and as long as you're sort of doing something good for animals, it doesn't really matter whether it, it in, in other words, if you want to abolish animal exploitation, you're an abolitionist and it doesn't really matter uh, what you do or how you get there. And I, I, that, that, of course, is wrong. Um, that was the point of the book that I wrote over 20 years ago, uh, Rain Without Thunder, where I argued that uh, you, you can't say that you're in favor of animal rights if what you want to do is um, is promote animal welfare or or uh, you know you know things short of of um, of abolition things short of veganism if you want to promote those states of affairs um, then you're not you know you're not promoting abolition you're a new welfareist you're promoting welfareism you're just promoting it with a different goal in mind and the argument that I made then was that the means that you choose to get to the end have to be consistent with the end and if animal exploitation is wrong you cannot promote animal exploitation as a means to the end of no exploitation and it was absolutely clear that these folks who said oh but you know we support your work you know we, we're abolitionists we you know we support your work and it became clear that they didn't know at all what I was talking about and they don't know anything about my work and that all they're doing is saying well they're abolitionists and and um, they're promoting veganism and if they promote you know uh, 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 mercy for animals or other organizations like that uh, that's all right um, because um, you know they're using it they're using that as part of their vegan uh, uh, advocacy and it just was well, it, I, don't, it, I don't understand how promoting cage-free eggs is part of vegan advocacy. Well, I, 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 I don't either, and I don't think they do either. But it was just—it just brought home to me that what we're dealing with, whether it's uh, Anonymous for the Voiceless or DXC or any of these organizations, it's street theater, it's it's branding, it's 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 entertainment. And it really has it, 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 it's it, I can just imagine what those discussions are like that those folks are having to the extent that there are people who are, you know, at, who are talking with people as opposed to the people who are standing with their vow of silence or whatever, wearing their Guy Fox masks, showing slaughterhouse videos to the extent that there are people there talking with other people in the public. I can't imagine what what they're saying because they're so incredibly confused and when you suggest that they read something they get all you know all all ex, you know excited and exasperated and it's like well, we're activists we don't have time to sort of read this this stuff um you know we're activists 
and and it, it just really sort of goes back to that problem that you can't be an activist if you don't know what theory it is you're advocating. And because when you go out to do your activism, you're going to choose you're going to make choices about what it is you choose to advocate and how you choose to advocate it. And those will reflect whether or not you want them to. They will reflect some some theoretical structure, whether they're consciously chosen in light of that structure. They'll, they'll reflect some structure. And because the dominant structure is welfareism, as established by these large corporate charities, the default position will always be to promote what they do, which is why these activists who don't know what the hell they're talking about they go out there and what do they do you know they're wearing their mercy for animals shirts or they're they're promoting PETA or they're promoting you know some other organization that um, takes a very problematic incoherent position and you know it, it really just um, brought home to me how hopeless the movement is in terms of you know, the, the, the and, and I guess, you know, you could say, well, you know, this is what I lecture you about every week. You get upset about the movement and I tell you, you got to forget about the movement. And, and, and so you could say the same thing to me. Don't worry about it. Just forget about it. And the answer is, yeah, that's right. It just, it's really upsetting because uh, groups like DXC and groups like Anonymous for the Voices are attracting a lot of young people, have lots of energy. They really want to do something worthwhile. And then they end up getting sucked into these silly, um, you know, street theater demonstrations that ultimately end up being completely incoherent because the people who are doing them have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what abolition means. So, and, so then maybe it's it's best that they take a vow of silence. Yes, yes. Well, that was actually <laughs> was actually my my thought was that um, that it would really be great if all of these folks if if we could persuade all of them to take Mercy a vow. Mercy for animals, please take a vow of yes. silence. Take a, exactly, take a vow of silence. Do it for the animals. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that seems like a strange idea to me to finally get someone's attention and then be silent about an issue. I. I guess I'm not that way. I guess I'm just kind of a, a loud blabbermouth or something that where like I, I don't think I could be silent, you know. Well, so, well, no. As I said, I, you know, they 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 reprimanded me for saying that they're silent because in fact it's only the people who stand with the Guy Fawkes masks on, um, you know, holding showing slaughterhouse videos, which I raise is another problem because they're they're the ones who are silent. They're supposed to be talkers. Who are talking to the public? Although, as I've said, I've I've spoken with people who have seen these exhibits or these whatever you call them, these displays, um, and have not been have not seen people or had access to people who actually wanted to to talk. Uh, maybe because there were fewer there, um, or because there were other people who were engaging them. I don't know. And they just were sort of perplexed and 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 walked up to the people wearing the masks, asked some questions, and those people will not respond. Um, and um, and and the people uh, who saw the exhibit just walked away, and so um, but but you know it, it, it raises another issue. Why are these folks showing slaughterhouse videos? I mean, showing slaughterhouse videos is a surefire way of getting people grossed out. But what people generally do, and I've been doing this for thirty-five years, you show people slaughterhouse videos. And the first thing they say is, oh, that's really terrible. They ought to do that better. You know, the, can't they be more humane? Which is exactly why we have this other 
silly movement that we have, the 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 sustainable animal exploitation movement that we're going to do it sustainably. I don't even know what the hell that means, but we're going to do and we're going to do it humanely. I don't know what that what that means either. But um, you know, and so I really think it's it's everything has to have a vegan message attached to it, or it really falls short of its purpose. I mean, I I think that if people you know, people really don't know what goes on in slaughterhouses. So if, if they do see it and they're horrified and understand that the only way uh, to not participate is to be vegan, that there is no improved way to, to make it, you know, they'll come back next week with another video and they'll have, you know, like, uh, you know, padding or I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, I mean... Well, I mean, a but, vegan message, like, what's the point of, of any of it, really? Yeah, and, and I mean, but look, I mean, when you've got groups, you know, talking about let's get CCTV cameras in slaughterhouses, for what purpose? You know, I mean, if you do it all in accordance with all of the regulations and laws, it's still really horrible. So, I mean, you're just reinforcing the idea in the minds of the public that there's, you know, that there are abuses going on that need to be stopped. And if the abuses are stopped, the process works in a in an acceptable way, which it doesn't. Oh, did did you did you see the uh, the Glenn Greenwald article by the way in the Intercept uh, regarding DXE? Um, I I heard I, no, I haven't read it. Uh, okay. Yeah, I maybe uh, maybe for next week we can we can go into it. But I I, I looked at it also. It, it's the the FBI's hunt for two missing piglets oh, reveals yes 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 yes, yes reveals yes. the federal cover up of barbaric factory farms, um, and you know it's very interesting what gets revealed a lot of people may not know a lot about this and i i of course find it amazing that uh well i'm, I'm glad the fbi actually let hillary off so that it could you know prioritize and really you know do, you know do do important security work like hunting for two uh missing piglets um but um of course there's and and to tell you the truth at this point whenever i see the term factory farm it's like uh, nails scratching a blackboard for me. I mean, I, you know, it's like, so, you know, again, in, in this article, there, there was no vegan message, you know, and, and DXC is in it throughout, uh, but there was the promise of uh, going from gestation crates to um, group housing. And that's what seemed to satisfy Wayne Shunton of DXC in this article like it wasn't there's nothing about going vegan and removing you know because you can't improve anything there was a message in it that um, Smithfield was promising group housing and Wayne went back there and there was no sign of it there is still the gestation crate so presumably group housing from a family farm you know would produce okay bacon right I mean what that comes down to and then you, the, the other thing this makes me consider, um, and I believe that this, this farm is in, is it in Utah, I think it was, um, where they have the gestation crates. And then it makes me wonder, you know, about the states that ban gestation crates, like California. Uh, does that just add another layer of torture in, in transportation, maybe? Because now in those states that there are no gestation crates... Um, in other states, there'll be, you know, the pigs ha have to travel distances that, you know, they, they wouldn't have. But there are still the gestation crates. Just this one happens to be, these are, are in Utah because it's not banned there. Well, I think um, I think I think the, the pork industry is in the process of moving away from 
gestation creates anyway. There are there are more economically efficient ways of dealing with feeding uh, uh, pigs who have just given birth, and um, so you know, you, they're like electronic sow feeding, for example, is one way of dealing with the issue, and it's much better. It it, it results in many fewer piglet deaths from from the the mother pig, the sow. Um, uh, crushing them, and um, so I think that there's, you know, I, I mean, look, the the poultry industry was in the process of transitioning to enriched cages anyway, um, and they were, you know, I mean, I mean, they 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 were. This this is the problem with these sorts of reforms, is that for the most part, um, they reflect. Concerned that they they ensure economic efficiency, um, and and so you know um, the gestation crate is being replaced, the veal crate is being replaced as a matter of economic efficiency. So what have and, and, and so so I think in a lot of cases um, you know what you're seeing being substituted is stuff that industry would have done anyway. Um, if, in this, for example, if for controlled atmosphere killing, I mean, more and more producers are switching to um, controlled atmosphere killing because it's economically better for them to do. And so, you know, they're getting away from gestation crates because electronic sow feeding is producing fewer, you know, fewer piglet deaths. And, you know, they're, 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 they're in the process of transitioning to certain modifications of intensive agriculture. It's still going to be intensive agriculture, but they're going to modify intensive agriculture because certain aspects of intensive agriculture are economically inefficient. And so, um, now to the extent that you have places where they aren't using particular production methods um, and there is not enough product to bring to market, they'll bring it in from other places and the other places may be using uh, different methods um, and, and whatnot. So if that's your question, I mean, so what happens if it's not, if you don't have gestation crates in California, um, where do you get, you know, where do you get the pork from? Uh, and the answer is, well, you get it from uh, intensive agriculture producers that are not using gestation crates and are using other methods, or you get it from out of state. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, t I'll tell you, I mean, I, I want to go back to this vegan education for a second, because um, we had a, or, or not we, uh, we in the, in the sense of we, we vegans, um, there was a, a, a festival, a vegan festival that Ekarazzi put on in New York City last weekend and um they had as, as i understand it they had fifteen thousand people there which which would make it i think the largest festival at least in this country and we had um we had a whole bunch of abolitionists there i was not there but we had a bunch of abolitionist educators there some of whom had been at the um at the summit the uh, the second um summit that you did in um in berkeley uh, and people who were really excited about things that they learned at that summit. Well, they were in New York and they were tabling and apparently talked to hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, many of whom were vegetarian. They were not vegan because a lot of people, I mean, and, 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 and a number of whom 
were not not vegetarian. So because a lot of people get attracted to these these festivals who are not vegan, and so there were a number of people who were not vegan, um, who uh, hundreds of them, with many of them being vegetarians, but some of them being not even vegetarians, um, coming up to the table and and you know getting free material, and there was a big sign, no donations accepted. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, they, they were there all day and apparently, um, everything, everything disappeared from the tables. Uh, they were exhausted by the time it was done. They got a lot of commitments from people that they were going to go vegan and nobody had to show any slaughterhouse videos and, um, and nobody had to stand in a cube and wear a Guy Fox mask and no one had to do any DXE theatrics it was really quite. Um, it was really quite uh, astonishing. I was getting texted all day. People were sending me photos. Where, uh, where was this? Where, it where, was. Where? Um, it was in Randall Island in in, in Manhattan. Oh. Okay. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was apparently quite an event. Quite an event. Uh, you know, I wanted. To, I wanted to ask you. I know what you're, what you're referring to um, about the DXE business, where the where the FBI is apparently looking for these two piglets. You know, I have to tell you, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the the uh, you don't need. I mean, it, there's plenty of information out there about intensive agriculture and what intensive agriculture looks like and what factory farms look like. Look like there, there's no dearth of information out there about that, right? I mean, I mean, you, you can find all sorts of information about it. So, I'm, it's not clear to me. I, I mean, I, why would the FBI be looking for these two particular piglets? Uh, uh, they they were looking because uh, it was was that they they couldn't allow um, they they couldn't allow there to be a, you know a protest movement. It's like they have to cover up the uh, conditions there. I don't know. That's I mean, but you can't cover up the conditions there. It, the conditions are well known. I mean, it's not like this is a big secret. Um, you know, anyone who has an Internet connection can find out all sorts of stuff about. I mean, this is not a secret. This is not a secret. It's not like, you know, the nuclear codes or, you know, um, it, it, it's not a secret. Uh, so it's not clear to me why they would be looking for the two piglets. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I really... I'm, I'm scrolling in the article now for the, for the explanation. Let me see if I can. Um, oh, while, while I'm scrolling for that, you did have something interesting about uh, death threats on your um, Facebook page, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and maybe you could talk about that a little bit. And then I, I actually want to see what Glenn Greenwald um, said related to, to the FBI here. And, and obviously Daisy uh, is interested also. All right. Well, I will go ahead and yak about this, and that'll give you some downtime. You yeah, can go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Bob is going to scroll, and I'll tell you the. Uh, I I posted an article on my Facebook page, um, and it was about a uh, school in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, which um, uh, it does a number of things. But one of the things it does is it teaches people how to slaughter, uh, you know, a sheep or whatever. And it's intended for people who do sort of backyard farming sorts of enterprises. And the person who's running this is is getting um, death threats or claims to be getting death threats. And the Animal Liberation Front uh, made a statement saying that it supports 
these, you know, it, 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 it supports uh, these threats and whatnot, uh, because what this person is doing is horrible. And I pointed out that um, it was peculiar that you have animal people who do this because, first of all, making death threats a bad idea. It's immoral. You should never do that sort of thing. But what's the difference between this woman uh, who's giving a class teaching people how to slaughter a sheep uh, as part of their backyard agricultural enterprises or whatever, and any non—I mean, any non-vegan. So, it, why would you threaten somebody who's doing this, but you wouldn't threaten your non-vegan mother or your non-vegan friends, who are the people who are responsible for the demand that results in institutional exploiters, whether on a large scale or a small scale, uh, slaughtering animals for production. I mean, it's the people who are eating animals that are generating the demand, and mm -hmm. and and they're as much responsible as anybody else. So, if why would you call up? Um, I mean, assuming that they're that this person is telling the truth and there were death threats, why would you do something like that? Um, if you wouldn't do that if you're non-vegan. You wouldn't do that to your non-vegan mother. And you'd be upset if somebody made death threats to your non-vegan relatives or friends that they were going to harm them if they did not go vegan. I think most people would be upset by that. Well, why is it okay to, to call this person up and make death threats? And then I also then pointed out, and it's also bizarre, that you have a movement that promotes all of this happy exploitation stuff, and and you know so so you've got you've got uh, you know Peter Singer and PETA and Farm Sanctuary and and um, vegan outreach and Mercy for Animals and Compassion Over Killing and Animal Place and all of these other uh, organizations uh, promoting happy exploitation in one form or another. And, and so why is that okay? Why is it okay for these corporate charities to promote this stuff? And why is it, Bob, that people like you and I who, you know, who criticize it get all sorts of aggravation from animal people, but it's okay uh, to make death threats to people who are engaging in, in the actual happy exploitation process? I mean, it's, it's my, the levels of confusion are just mind-boggling. Just absolutely mind-boggling. And um, there was an organization in North Carolina that led the a campaign against this uh, backyard uh, uh, butchery class last year. Um, it's not really clear to me what their involvement is this year. Um, they claim they're not involved, but I, the article wasn't really quite clear. But they promote, org they promote organizations that promote happy exploitation. So they're upset about this woman having her class, but yet they're promoting organizations that promote these happy exploitation campaigns. So I, I, it's just so incredibly confused. You know, it's so incredibly confused. Right. So now those, that, those death threats, keep them where they belong against mercy for animals. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 I just, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Mercy, what Mercy for Animals is doing is every bit as bad in many ways, if not worse, worse. than what this person is doing, because, because, because they're saying, look, we're, we're these spokespeople for the animals, and we think happy exploitation is okay, and go and eat those cage-free eggs. And, and um, you know, so what they're doing in many ways is worse. So, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. I, it's, I, a, it's a confused world. They're, they're, well, it's, it's the animal confusion movement. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's the animal confusion movement. Now, that has given you plenty of time. You could have read the Greg... Greg the, it, 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 it's a very, very long article, but uh, oh. I, I think I did find a segment here that might explain some of it. So All let right, me see fine. where it says... It says under normal circumstances, a large industrial farming company such as Smithfield Foods would never notice that two sick piglets of the millions it breeds and then slaughters were missing, uh, nor would they care. A sick and dying piglet has no commercial value to them. Uh, yet the rescue of these two particular piglets has literally become a federal case by all appearances, a matter of great importance to the Department of Justice. On the last day of August, a six-car uh, armada of FBI agents in bulletproof vests armed with search warrants descended upon two small shelters for abandoned farm animals, uh, Ching Farm Rescue in Riverton, Utah, and Lovin' Arms in Erie, Colorado. These sanctuaries have no connection to DXE or any other rescue groups. They simply serve as a shelter for sick, abandoned, or otherwise injured animals. Run by small staff and a team of animal-loving volunteers, they are open to the public to teach about farm animals. The attachments to the search warrant specified that the FBI agents could take DNA samples, blood, hair follicles, or ear clippings to be seized from swine with the following characteristics. One, pinky white coloring. Two, duck tails. Three, approximately five to nine months in age. Four, any swine with a hole in right ear. Um, this is amazing that what the FBI is doing. The FBI agents searched the premises of both shelters. They demanded DNA samples of two big piglets they said were named Lucy and Ethel in order to determine whether they were the two ailing piglets who had been rescued weeks earlier from Smithfield. A representative of Lovin Farms who insisted on anonymity due to fear of the pending criminal investigations described the events. The FBI agents ordered staff and volunteers to stay away from the animals and then approach the piglets. To obtain the DNA samples, the state veterinarians accompanying the FBI used a snare to pressurize the piglet's snout, thus immobilizing her in pain and fear, and then cut off close to two inches of the piglet's ear. Uh, let's see, the piglet's pain was so severe and her scream so piercing that the sanctuary staff members screamed and cried. Um, let's see if I can... Let's see says the FBI specified as part of its search that it was seeking DNA samples from piglets they said were named Lucy and Ethel, uh, but those were not the names the activists used. That's, that's not explaining it. Uh, subsequent events confirmed that this uh, show of FBI force was designed to intimidate the sanctuaries, which played no role in the rescue. Weeks after the FBI execution of the two search warrants, Love and Arms, in the midst of the interview uh, with The Intercept, received telephone calls from the U.S. Department of Agriculture claiming the agency had received a complaint. So, uh, at least in this part of the article, it looks like uh, the FBI is intimidating sanctuaries not to accept rescued animals taken from corporations. I see. Well, that would, that, that, that at least, 
I mean, that, that's plausible. I mean, uh, you know, I, it seems that they're going to quite uh, quite a length to do this. I mean, they okay, could... Okay, well, here it says, the retaliation for exposing cruel treatment. What has vested the, what has, uh, vested these two piglets with such importance to the FBI that their rescue is now part of what has become an increasingly visible public campaign by DXE and other activists to highlight the barbaric uh, suffering and abuse that animals endure on farms like Circle 4. Obviously, the FBI and Smithfield, the nation's largest industrial farm corporation, don't really care about the missing piglets they are searching for. Ooh, he ended a sentence with a preposition, Glenn Greenwald. Okay. Um, what they care about is the efficacy of a political campaign intent on showing the public how animals are abused at factory farms, and they are determined to intimidate those responsible. Well, but but first of all, it sounds like the shelters or the places they went to had nothing to do with anything, number one. Number two, again, there's a lot of information out there about uh, factory farms. I mean, this is like not a secret. I mean, it... it, it well, but you know, it, I guess when, when something becomes current, like... They're rescued now. They're rescued today. I mean, I think it, that, that makes something maybe timely, you know. It says here, det uh, deterring such campaigns and intimidating the activists behind them is manifestly the only goal here. So that's, that's uh, there was an article in the New York Times. They're talking about that they're using uh, virtual reality that people, you know, can see things in real time. And so, you know, that's, that's, what, he, that's what it's saying well, you know, it'd be nice. We got to get people focused on a simple fact. It doesn't really matter whether they're raised in good circumstances, whatever that means, or not good circumstances, which, as far as I'm concerned, is well, all. Here, see, see, as I mentioned in this article, though, uh, it seems like Wayne Shun would be satisfied with group housing, and that's going to be horrific, also. But it has a nice name, like. Uh, you know, colony housing, for, right, for the for the chickens, like group housing. Oh, the, the family is together, not that they're crowded together trampling each other, right? I mean, so. well, I mean, you know, he had uh, Sean had. His, by the way, wasn't he supposed to come on the show? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll work on that again now that we're uh, back on track. Now, now that there is, now that there's uh, a show, yeah, there's a show. Um, I I was under. Uh, well, I saw some something that he he had out at some point last year, I think, uh, where he was talking about how uh, Whole Foods, you, you know, the, 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 some supplier that had Whole Foods, uh, you know, had a, had a high Whole Foods rating or something, was really, you know, was not living up to the, to the um, promises or the, the uh, criteria that they're supposed to live up to in order to have, you know, happy, you know, in order to get the happy exploitation stamp of approval from Whole Foods. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the, the very clear message was that, well, if, if they were doing that, then, you know, th right. then, it, no, then it would be okay, right? Then well, it, 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 it would be, what, what are you complaining about? Or, that, it would be, that, that the complaint was that they were not meeting the standards that they were supposed to meet to get whatever level of, you know, uh, Whole Foods has that uh, Global Animal Partnership five-step program. And 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 whatever they were supposed to do to get whatever level they had been awarded, um, that that they they were not they were not meeting that standard. As if so, what? What if they were meeting the standard? 
Um, this yeah. is the problem. This is the problem. And, you know, it's actually interesting. Um, you know, I don't get a sense that most of the people who write about this, most of the journalists who write about this, are, are thinking that, well, you know, this sort of campaign is showing us that we, we ought to be vegans. What what they're saying is this sort of campaign is showing us that we need to change husbandry standards and we need to to, you know, to 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 make these uh, factory farms more humane. That's and that's, that's unfortunate. Exactly. That, that's what I mean. It's like, why, why wasn't Wayne saying we need to go vegan instead of we need group housing? They're not, you know, they're not. But that's because because Wayne doesn't believe that vegan now that we ought to be advocating veganism because he thinks we just ought to be activists. And I would love, you know, we had you had him on a show a couple of years ago on your show, and I was a guest. And I I want to ask him again the question that I asked him then. I still don't have an answer to. What the hell does it mean to say you want to be an activist, but you're not going to advocate veganism? That you know that veganism isn't the important thing. What's important is activism. Well, I mean, you know, and that what what that what that gets you to is situations where you're you're uh, advocating. That you know, where you're saying, well, what we need is group housing, or what we need is compliance with uh, with the with the, the the whole food standards, you know, and 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 you know, th- these these suppliers that have designations ought to be doing what they what they're supposed to be doing to get those designations. Well, what if they were doing what they're supposed to be doing to get those designations? The animal is still dead, and I really do think, I do think we need a real shift. And it's hard. It's hard because of the way we think about these issues. Uh, we need to have a real shift in terms of focusing on killing. That there's something terribly wrong with taking a being who has an interest in his or her life and killing that being for no purpose whatsoever. We need to be taking that more seriously. Obviously, the torture that precedes that is also morally relevant. But you know what? You don't really need to know what the hell goes on in a factory farm. You you just don't because they all end up dead. It doesn't matter whether, you know, whether whether it complies with the whole food standards or doesn't comply with the whole food. They all end up dead. And that's what we need to be focusing on. We need to get people to sort of think about why is it that our palate pleasure? Why is it that our fashion sense? Why is it that our sense of entertainment allows us to impose any level of suffering and death? So, yeah, it's better to impose less suffering than more suffering. But. No suffering is justifiable, and they all end up dead. And this whole factory farm business um, is is um, you know the 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 corporations that don't like this are not afraid that people are going to go vegan. That's because that's not what the campaign's about. What the campaign is about is what they don't want to be pressured into making cost inefficient changes in factory farming. They're happy to make. The more the more cost efficient ones, they're happy to move in the direction of getting rid of gestation crates because that doesn't you know that doesn't cost them much, and indeed they can increase production efficiency by using alternative means of production. They're happy to move in the direction of gassing chickens because um, because because uh, that's an, an economically better way of of uh, of producing chickens. Um, but they don't want to be pressured into doing things that are not economically efficient, that will increase increase production costs, and that will affect demand. They don't want to, but but this is not about veganism. This is about this is about uh, 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 economic efficiency arguments. And oh, it's and, pathetic- and, you know, in, in talking about you know 
the, the killing of animals, though. Um, th that's Wayne Pacelli's big joke, though, isn't it? You know, they, they have one bad day. Is it that that's uh, that's his uh, bad joke about killing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's and that is a very, very bad joke um, to the extent that it's not a joke at all. Actually, it's quite sick that the head of the Humane Society uh, our old buddy Wayne Purcell from way way back, you know, who who uh, you know would say such such a thing. Um, it's really upsetting because you know I, I get that a lot from people. You know, they say, well, you know, but it's just one bad day, and the answer is, yeah, but you know, um, maybe maybe we ought to be taking that a little bit more seriously. Maybe we ought not to be thinking of that in the cavalier way that we think about it. Um, and um, you know, yeah, isn't that, I mean, that's just so. Yeah. Oh, one other thing from this. Um from Glenn Greenwell. So here it says, in response to the public controversy over uh, this practice, the uh, gestation crates, uh, generated by activists uh, filming what was going on, Smithfield announced in 2012 that they would uh, phase out gestation crating in 10 years by 2022. They then claimed that by the end of 2017, they would transition completely to group housing systems. Uh, quote, but as the DXE videos show, gestation crates are exactly what activists found in abundance when they visited Smithfield uh, Circle 4. Indeed, when Wayne Shun and DXE visited Circle 4 over the summer, they saw no signs whatsoever of any construction or reform efforts to move away from gestation crates. Shun told The Intercept, as the videos show, Circle 4 had thousands of pigs suffering in such crates. That was where the activists found the two piglets close to death. So there you have it. That's that that that's exactly it. There's no, the you know he's looking for signs of uh, of group housing construction. Basically, that that's what that's what makes DXE happy. That's that's disgusting. You know, I mean that's that's really horrible. That's what that's what allows DXE to do fundraising. That's what allows. DXE to get people like Glenn Greenwald in as unwitting participants in supporting this nonsense. Um, and, um, you know, so, I mean, but that that's, I'm not surprised. It's not a word about going vegan in this article anywhere, of course. No, 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 but they, but they don't, you know, I mean, we have a movement where people don't want to talk about veganism. And, you know, I mean, they're very clear about not wanting to talk about veganism. So, in any event, yeah, well, uh, the only thing, yeah, well, there, there's your vow of silence, right? Veganism, the, the, exactly. the movement with a vow of silence about veganism, but the thing that everybody should be discussing, not getting discussed. Congratulations to us. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I am glad that that Go Vegan Radio is back on the air, and um, and uh, uh, and you know, I look forward to. Uh, our weekly chats, and I would like, I hope that you can get Wayne on, um, and we can talk, and I can ask him to please try to explain it to me again, um, you know, and uh, because I still don't understand how, how why you should be telling people, well, I don't know, I still don't understand the idea that veganism isn't the moral imperative, activism is. I, I don't know, I, I just, I, I just. Activism I, 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 for what? Uh, yeah, exactly. Exa activism in aid. Activism in aid of what? Activism intended to do what? I, I, I just, I, I don't. Get learning, learning something in school, you know, isn't important. Just a diploma is, you know. Yes, like exactly. It's, so, it's kind of empty. Uh, exactly. Very empty. 
So, well, exactly. great, Gary. It was uh, good talking with you again. I'm glad yes, we, we reconnected and we'll keep things going now. Yes. Now, Bob, uh, just make sure you're watching that where, the, where those fires are because, you know, um, uh, keep keep away from them, will you? We, we, we're doing the best we can. Oh, and th- this is a good time to apologize for the background noise. Ben is always complaining, saying, you know, you have an air conditioner on in the background, and it's a lot of, you know, noise, but please forgive us. Yeah, I, and I always have the excuse. First it was, you know, it's 104 degrees here. Now it's like, you know, we have wildfires here, so I, I apologize for the, you know, background noise, but uh, we, 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 we have to breathe. So. How far away are the actual live fires from where you are? Well, I think uh, what I saw the other day was uh, Santa Rosa and uh, Runnert Park, which really had a lot of damage. That's about 45-minute drive, so what could that be, 35, 40 miles away, uh, with it all blowing in this direction. Then in the East Bay, the East Bay had its own little fire happening, but that was a a truck on fire it had nothing to do with the wildfires but it still added a significant amount of smoke to you know now now we're just we're covered with smoke basically you know so you're able to actually see the smoke it's not just that you're smelling like you're actually oh yeah yeah it's it's visible it's visible all over the bay area from you know the east bay to into berkeley and all throughout uh yeah. So uh, yes, it's it's visible. You know, I I do have to tell you this. Um, when I was coming back from the World Vegan Summit last year, Ann and I were coming back. Um, it's it's relevant to this you know, this what we're hearing about now about all of these um, people in the Trump administration who are taking private planes here, there, and everywhere. Um, when um, when Ann and I were dry, were flying back, we were in you know the cheap seat. We were in the economy seats and. Few aisles ahead of us was your governor Jerry Brown, and uh-huh. and and I just thought that was so remarkable. Uh, I know that there are probably uh, legitimate criticisms of Governor Brown, but I just thought one one that you can't make is that the guy doesn't even fly first class, let alone take a private plane anywhere. He was sitting in economy, cramped with the rest of us. Um, well, and- I, I guess I guess that's a good photo op. Uh, while he has California all fracked up, I mean, he's the he's 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 the fracking governor. He's an oil. He's basically an an oil. Oil, oil, do is he? Is he? He's pro fracking. Yeah. Oh, he has the, the state has. It's totally because of him. It's like it's a mess. Yeah. Well, that's that. That's a shame because I had a chat with him uh, on the plane, um, and uh, he was. Um, we had a we had a we had an interesting little chat, and he was. Uh, oh, I found, really? I, yeah, I found well, him to, I found him to be an engaging guy, and. Um, well, that, and, that, that's these these politicians. They could be that way. I'm sure. I'm sure Bill Clinton would be uh, very charming. Uh, hey, look. At least I was able to. At least I was able to tell him I was just coming back from the World Vegan Summit and how important veganism was. And well, you know, you know, he, he did mention at, at some event somewhere that if we were real, really serious about climate change, we would be eating veggie burgers. I mean that that is out there. And then then he went off and you know allowed for, the whole state. I mean the Central Valley is collapsing on itself because of of fracking and and his support of it. So uh, there you go. Uh, oh, well. But but it's good fracking because it's the Democrats. When, so it's it's good fracking. Hey, look, at least he was sitting in economy with a private plane. You know, I mean, baby steps, Bob, baby steps. Oh, yeah, baby steps, progress. We're not going to change it overnight. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next week, Bob. Okay, thank you, Gary. Bye-bye.
Okay, that'll do it for this week. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Preston M. Smith for being with us today, PMS. Remember, he is offering a discount for Go Vegan Radio listeners. You go to uh, pmsart.com, and uh, your code is GOVEGAN, all in caps. You get a 10% discount on his artwork, and he will make a donation to Go Vegan Radio. You can make a donation to Go Vegan Radio at goveganradio.com. You can support us via Patreon subscription. That information also is at GoVeganRadio.com, along with hundreds of free archives of this very program. And again, thank you for listening, and we will talk again next week.